Hey guys, um, stoked to announce that Revelation Records will be sponsoring the next five podcasts, five episodes with Revelation Records. Thank you guys so much for your support. Thank you for the amazing soundtrack of my youth. Uh, Revelation Records has put out some of those classic hardcore records in history. Uh, some of the most iconic photos by BJ Pappas are on most of those albums. And most of my friends' bands have put records on Revelation Records. Um, a lot of hardcore history. And I'm super stoked that they're part of the One Life, One Chance podcast for the next five episodes. The ad is coming up next, and it's fucking loud, and it's awesome. <laughs> hey, this is Sam Sumataro. I sing for a band called Drain from Santa Cruz, California. I'm here to tell you about our debut record called California Cursed, now available on Revelation Records. This summer, we're going on tour with Go to revelationrecords.com for more, and here's four seconds of what we sound like. <laughs> I'm stoked to be part of the Revelation family. Let's take the remaining 26 seconds to dive into what it means and what's up at Rev. Revelation kicked things off in New York City in 1987 with Warzone, Lower East Side Crew. After that, Gorilla Biscuits, Youth of Today, Judge, Inside Out, Chain of Strength, and many more. The times changed in the early 90s, and Rev was there with artists like Quicksand, Texas is the Reason, Far Side, and Into Another. There's new music from World Be Free, Constant Elevation, Urban Sprawl, Dare, and reissues of the classics from Inside Out, Side by Side, and Orange 9mm. Check out the Spotify playlist series. Ah! It's all at revelationrecords.com. Um, check, check, check. Let me hear you say something, Peter, on here. Check, yeah, check. Yeah, sure, sure. How you doing, sir? Um, I am. You good? I'm good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, going through, living through weird times. Definitely weird times. Um, you know. so, so this is gonna be my first quarantined uh, podcast, my first lockdown podcast, stay home podcast, flatten the curve yeah. podcast. Um, it is kind of weird you wash though. Wash your hands. Wash my hands. <laughs> I wash my hands before I get on this microphone. Um, yeah, good. So. All right, here we are. We still don't know how these things transmit. What happened? Oh, I know, I know. We still don't know how, you know, it can go through the web if your hands are unclean. Well, somebody said yesterday that it could, it could, it could stay on your shoes for like five days. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, you know, I've been, I've been leaving my shoes outside. You have? Oh, that's smart. Uh, yeah, but that was that was at my wife's request. Is that something you never done before until this? Yeah, yeah. Mm. I, wasn't doing that I might, I might continue to do it. Yeah, yeah I, I think my wife is always trying to do that, and then just now we heard that yesterday. She's like, "See, I've been telling you guys for a long time not to wear your shoes in here." You know. Yeah, you know, it would not surprise me if, for a lot of people. Some of the things that we need to do now become habit. Yeah, like which, is, which mm -hmm. isn't necessarily a bad thing, you know. Yeah, after we get out of this, people need to be more like um, aware of their surroundings and washing their hands and germs, and people could be more germ freaks probably too. Like there might be more like people, yeah. like, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it it it, uh, it really really kind of forces you to uh, look much more closely at, at what you're doing with your life. And not, not just in terms of, of, of 
not just in terms of cleanliness, but like, what do you do with your time? Yeah. And, you know, what, what really, uh, what really interests you, you know? Yeah. Some, some people may never have had the time to really find out. Mm-hmm. And now they're being forced, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, it's, uh, it's very like first world white person luxury to be able to do that, to say, oh, well, I'm going to take advantage of, of this particular pause in the economy to yeah. get to know myself better, you know? Yeah. But still. Yeah. It's very, it's very interesting. Um, Okay, or, so, or grow a mustache. Yeah, my mustache. So everybody hit me up, say, "Look, like I'm I'm straight out of prison right now with my mustache." <laughs> I like it. Thank I like you. It. I, I, think, I think you should go for it. I might. I'm gonna go for it to my birthday and see what happens. My birthday is like in a week. I'll be fifty, so I'm trying to like. There you go. Um, there you go. And we got like a punching bag in the back. We got weight bench. We got weights. My son's like, I did fifty pull-ups yesterday, a hundred push-ups with Max. We're doing like all kinds of shit. So it's uh, they're really trying to like. Keep our health game health game up over here, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good thing to do. It's, it's good for really your mind too, you know. Very, very. It it, uh, it does a lot for your mood. Um, if you're somebody like me, who has dealt with depression, getting the physical activity is really important. Yes, you know, for just, sure. It's just too, way too easy in a situation like this to let yourself go to a dark place. A hundred percent. I'm wondering like how many people are going to like leave their houses after lockdown, like lost weight or gain weight. Like who knows? Like it's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It can, it can definitely go either way. Um, all right. Well, welcome to the one life one chance podcast. I have finally, I have you, have you on here, here. man. Um, this is a big deal for me. Um, as you know, we're, we're friends now, but before I, you know, when I started this podcast, we hadn't really met yet, so this is like this is awesome. Um, so thanks for being here and for your time. I know I know you're really, really busy right now. Everybody's really busy in their houses. <laughs> it's a perfect yeah. time, though. No, it's a perfect time. I'm excited. Yeah. Um, I'm not a fan of talking on the phone doing podcasts, but in this situation, sure. you know, we live so far away from each other, and we want to have I want to have you on here, and um, it's way overdue. And I'm happy that you said yes. Anyway. Welcome, and um, thanks. I got my no- I got all my notes in front of me. I didn't realize you were like you were like a couple different bands I didn't even know about. Um, I did my I did my little research on you. Um, but first and foremost, where were you, where were you born? Oh, yeah. Where was I born? I was born in Washington D.C. Oh, awesome. Okay. Yeah. And you? And yeah. You, you born, went to in, born in Washington. I grew up in. Silver Spring, Maryland, nice. which is, uh, yeah, suburbs right outside of D.C. Um, my dad, he was born in Florida. My mom is from Germany. Oh, wow. The two of them met, yeah, the two of them met in England. And then, uh, and then ended up coming to the States. That's awesome. Do you have brothers and sisters, too? I do. I have a uh, one older sister and one older brother. And uh, were you guys tight growing up? Well, my brother and sister were pretty tight. They, they're like, uh, 
five and seven years older than I am. Oh, okay. So, you know, when, when, when you're young, that's enough distance in age that, uh, you know, I'm just a pain in the ass younger brother. Mm-hmm. And I was definitely a pain in the ass. Yeah. You like the wild kid? Uh, what, you know, I'd love to be able to say I was a wild kid, uh, but really obnoxious is really a more accurate term. Okay. You know, like just, just, uh, it's not like I was getting into trouble. I was just a total wise ass. Gotcha. Did that get you in trouble, being a wise ass? Uh, it didn't make me particularly popular. Mm. But um, but I'm actually, you know, it's funny you say that, though, because uh, every now and then Madonna and I talk about this. She's always kind of surprised that um, I've gotten this far in life, uh, you know, in my mid-50s, without getting punched. <laughs> Uh, you know, and, and that is, she started really bringing that up when, uh, when we first moved to Philadelphia, Okay, because, you know, Philadelphia is not, not a town where you necessarily want to just be, uh, indiscriminately a wise ass to people. True. Very true. You don't know very well. Yes. You know? Yeah. So, uh, but you know, I don't know what she's talking about. I, I, <laughs> I have no idea. Um, but you know, but you know, that's, that's, that's an interesting thing um, that you bring up about that because you are, do I have it right? You're the youngest in your family. Correct. Is that right? Yeah. So yeah. You had, you had two brothers, two older siblings, two brothers. Mm-hmm. And what was, what was the age difference there? Um, my brother Todd is, I'm, I'm about to be 50. I think Todd Morris is, my brother's three years older than me. And then my brother Tracy is two years older than Todd, so it's a pretty yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was interesting. Did your did your brother and sister go to school with you? The same school and stuff, or no? We did go to a lot of the same schools. Yeah, we were never, but we were never. We were far enough away in the, age that we weren't in schools at the same time. Yeah. Now I think, and I think about how different it might have been um if we had been in the same schools yeah but uh, i mean we were we were far enough in time that that by the time i got into school nobody in the school would have any idea who my brother is okay you know yeah and of course at at this point um the schools i would i was going to were all ones where you know they were just like two or three year schools even mm-hmm. the high school that I went to, um, at this time, the, the high schools in, in our area were just uh, 10th, 11th, and 12th grade. Gotcha. You know, so, so it was constantly schools. I guess you must, have, you must have had a similar experience, though, because you were, um, you were moving a lot. Like, when did you move? You were in Rhode Island before you were in St. Mary? Yeah, I was, in, I was in Massachusetts, and then I was in Rhode Island for middle school, and then I was in St. Mary's County, Southern Maryland, uh, Lexington Park for high school. So, when you moved to Southern Maryland, were either of your brothers still going to school? Yeah, my brother Tracy actually said, "Fuck that! I'm not leaving Newport. I'm staying here. I'm not going to go to the South." So my brother Tracy never came uh, at first. So me and Todd had to go. So me and Todd went to school together for a minute, 
and then um, he graduated. And then my brother Tracy came back for a moment. But yeah, we still lived in the same apartment complex. Um, right. So, so you and Todd then would have shared the experience of having to like start out at a new school in a new area. Yes. Entirely. Yeah. Twice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Man. And there was the South, too, and the South Man. was way different than where we grew up, you know, especially in the, that early 80s part. You know, there was no skateboarders or punk rockers or nothing in St. Mary's County. It was a lot of, like, a lot of racism, I experienced, a lot of separation and different cliques and rednecks and just different, you know, Confederate flags mm-hmm. and stuff I'd never seen before, you know? Like, it was a culture shock to me. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it took me a while to, like, wake up to <laughs> the fact that, that Maryland is very much a southern state, mm-hmm. you know. I, I mean, I feel like the area that I grew up in, in Silver Spring, was was very middle class. It was also pretty integrated, especially for the time. Mm-hmm. And... I kind of grew up thinking, oh, well, this is how the world is. Yeah. You know, this is like uh, the world is just this sort of harmonious place. And it would just really blow my mind when, when I left that area and went to different places. And it's like, wow, no, it, it is, it's not like that at all. Mm-hmm. Like, we got a long way to go. Yeah. I mean, how, how, was, how was it in school? Did you experience racism in school in, in Maryland and Silver Spring or was it? No, you know, I mean, I'm going to, I'm going to say that I didn't see it. I am sure it was there. Um, I'm sure it was there in a lot of ways that it took me a very long time to be sensitive to. It was probably there in a lot of ways that I still don't get. Yeah, totally. But, but at the time, I didn't grow up with people who ever expressed that they had some sort of sense of uh, of otherness. Mm-hmm. You know, of like, well, you know, these these people are these people are different. Yeah. Um, it just seemed uh, where we were was just very multicultural. A um, mm-hmm. lot of different languages. Uh, and I think that was just the proximity to, we were just that close to D.C. Yeah, yeah, yeah. kind of area. Yeah, like all cultures. You know, whereas, yeah. you know, my wife didn't live, she lived like 40 minutes away from where I was, but she was closer to getting down into Southern Maryland, mm-hmm. and not as far down as where, as where you were. Yeah. But her experience where she was living was much more, much more difficult. Like she, she saw a lot of weird shit. Yeah. Um. So how were you in high school? Did you, we did you have were you like a kind of like the black sheep in the school? Did you have a lot of friends? Were high school was a little odd because I ended up going back and forth between two different schools. Okay. So high school for me um, started in tenth grade. I was one year in one place. The second year, 11th grade, I got enrolled in this art program where I ended up going to a different high school and spending half the day in an art studio. Oh, wow. And half the day doing regular classes. 
That's uh, cool. And then the following year, I kept doing that, but I was doing my regular classes at my old high school. So it was a lot of a lot of weird transitions there. But I have never been uh, much of a let me just say I, I tend to relate best to people like one on one. So being part of a team, part of a crew, a group, um, it's not something I'm very used to. Okay. So, you know, I was pretty happy with the friendships that I had. Uh, there weren't a lot of them, but it wasn't like I felt like, oh man, I wish I was friends with a lot more people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If anything, yeah. it was just like, you know, nope, nope, two or three, two or three. That's or all you three. need, man, just a few good ones, you know? Yeah, exactly, exactly. And, and you know, it, it was, but, I mean, the great thing about high school was that's when, like, that's when I started hearing different kinds of music. Okay. And and that just that just made a huge difference. And part of the reason I was able to do that was because I was in this uh, this art program, and the guy who was teaching it would let us listen to music while we were doing our artwork. That's cool. So aside from like the squabbles that people had over what we were going to listen to, it, it meant being exposed to a lot of different stuff, and uh, and that was really cool. Yeah, and it, I mean, when did when did you first start hearing punk rock? Did you were you hearing that in St. Mary's? No, I heard it. I was hearing, I heard it in, in Rhode Island because I went to school with John Jones in middle school, and his brother was Chris Jones. And he sang for Verbal Assault. Oh yeah, okay. And, and okay. then there was like we had Vicious Circle, and we had um, Proletariat, Idle Rich. These are like some of the some of the bands in the area, you know. And so my brother mm -hmm. started going to. Shows at the living room in Providence. They started taking me to shows, so that was my really first exposure. And, and John Jones had a band called Positive Outlook, and um, he was like one of my best friends. And then obviously, I got into his brother's band, and that's when Verbal Salt kind of started. So yeah, I, I got thrown into the mix of that, which was awesome. And that's where I got into skateboarding, and then like, you know, skateboarding got banned during the America's Cup. We used to be like like skate punks through the streets. We all skate through the city of Newport, and then like there was mm -hmm. a bunch of tourists came in for the America's Cup races and they banned skateboarding and we did a petition. We went to City Hall, like all of us and the Verbal Salt guys, and we petitioned outside to get skateboarding back in our town and we we won and we got skateboarding. It was just a crazy time. <laughs> it was pretty amazing times to be in Newport during that time and it was a perfect timing for me and my brothers. Yeah, that's that's really cool. And you were, and you were saying at that point, you were in middle school. Yep. You were a young guy. Yeah, I was. Man. And, and so my mom was like... It, working a couple jobs to rate to obviously to keep right. food on our plates me me and my two my three brother my two brothers cuz my my dad had passed in Massachusetts and my mom got a job in Rhode Island so that's why it was easy for my brothers to kind of sneak me out to the shows cuz my mom was working like two jobs she worked at the Holiday Inn she worked at Solomon's Island these other spots and um long story short yeah my brothers my brothers got me into punk rock in Rhode Island wow yeah was was music like important to you before that not really you know it's like Interesting. Uh, yeah i got into skateboarding first and then through skateboarding you get into thrasher and then you get into the skate rock mixtapes with like mick rad and the faction youth brigade so i started hearing the skate punk music because it was in all the videos mm -hmm. it's like in the bones brigade videos and all those vhs's uh videos that came out back then so 
I was like, the soundtrack to the music I was skating to was punk. And my brother brought home like this eight track of like the Sex Pistols, never mind the Bullocks, whatever Bullocks. And I thought mm-hmm. it was cool, you know what I mean? But I, I thought it was cool, but I really didn't really relate to it lyrically. And I didn't know what the fuck a Bullock was. Right. or, um, But yeah, my brothers exposed me to it, man. They, they brought me to my first shows and I was like, maybe 80, it was 82, 83. I was like 12 or 13. And um, it was awesome. That shit, shit changed my life because I really I didn't have any other music. I didn't really know any about music. I didn't, whatever was on the radio, my mom played Jim Croce in the house or Neil Sedaka, right. whatever my my mom was playing in the house. Um, right, right. But then my brothers just you know brought me to these shows. I was like, holy fuck, this is this is this is this is like it was just like a home. It was just I don't know. It was hard to explain, but yeah. Dude, that's that's really interesting to me because. It sounds like when you started getting into music, because it, it, it sounds like you're saying the skate stuff happened first. Yes. And then you've got this music that's the soundtrack to that. So it's like topical for you. Mm-hmm. Like in, you were saying one of the issues with the, with the Sex Pistols was that lyrically it didn't necessarily connect. No. So you were already kind of in tune to that idea that the lyrics have an importance. For and sure. F- for me, it was like the, the the journey into that was completely different. Like I was I was pretty into music um, before I got into punk. Okay. Not playing music. Yeah. You know, I, I, I wasn't a musician. Um, still can't play an instrument. Me either. Don't worry. Um, but as into music as I was, lyrics were kind of, if they were cool, they were cool. If they weren't, but I liked the music, I didn't think about it too much. Yeah. And I got into the pistols just because it was like, oh, wow, here's somebody saying fuck this and fuck that. Fucking all the fuckers. I can get behind that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it, exactly. Yeah. It's just because it was it was outrageous. Yeah. It was it was obnoxious. No, I, well, I don't get me wrong. I love the sex was and I played that a track and that cassette whatever after that. I I loved the music because I could skate to it, but I really didn't know what I was singing along to because I didn't know like what anarchy was. I didn't, I didn't even heard of what the UK anarchy in the UK and. The bullocks and, right. and bodies and all that shit. I, and then like right, so, right. some of the punk rock was like fuck your parents and fuck the president, all the shit. And I love my mom. Like I wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't gonna be like fuck my mom, yeah. you know. So it's like, but then that that's when it when it turned into like verbal assault, you know. And I met those guys and their their message and they were like kind of serious and they were in, were incredible songs and the, the lyrics were just. I don't know. I, I learned a lot. It was almost like my. I was just like my education. I don't know. I just the lyrics and stuff. Then my obviously minor threat and then seven seconds in these bands. They, I feel like a lot of the punk rock was like anarchy, fuck your parents, fuck the world. Then I feel like this hardcore shit was like, you know, we're angry too, but we also have a message and we want to fix things. It's just, it's easy to say yeah. fuck everything and not do anything about it, but like these other bands were singing about change, and I just I, don't know, I just really connected to that. I guess I don't know. So, so, do you ever feel burdened by feeling like any song that you do has 
gotta have a message to it. Mm. Like you can't you can't just say no. This one's gonna be like the B fifty twos, man. This is just <laughs> gonna be about you know. I I just want to be able to have fun with this one. No, I mean we did. The, yeah. yeah, we did, on the last couple records we did. Couple, uh, it's like I want to write a song called Skate. I want to write a song about skateboarding. I've been skating my whole life. I haven't written one song about skateboarding. Even if nobody in my band can skate, which Rusty can skate, my brother can skate. I just want to do a song all about mm-hmm. skateboarding. Like it's a super fun song. Yeah, and we did that on the last record, and it was great. We made a video, and people. It was it was really fun to do something that wasn't like that. But obviously, not all of our shit is serious, and not all, and my band's not. We don't take ourselves too seriously. Obviously, we always have. We try to have positive messages and uplifting messages and stuff that people can relate to, community and family and all that stuff. But yeah, mm-hmm. we're, we're not, I'm not so hard on myself. Like we have to write a song about this is happening right now. We're not a political band. We're not like that kind of stuff. It just it just kind of flows, I guess. It just we're not set. We don't, we don't set out to write like something that has this a credible meaning. It usually just comes out the way it comes out. And I don't know. There's like no really um, agenda to the songs. It just whatever whatever we're feeling because i write my shit down like we talked about the other day me and you i write my stuff down like what's on my mind i write a bunch of notes about one topic and it looks like shit on a piece of paper mm-hmm. but then you put it together and you try to make you put it together and make it make sense it's not going to flow right. when i write it i'm just writing these ideas in a, in a um, notepad yeah so yeah i mean right right but yeah i mean i love like i love silly punk i love goofy shit too as well but i'm just saying for me personally i connected to the shit that was like, you know, seven seconds, let's say, um, on New Wind, did a song called Man Enough to Care about a dad raising mm-hmm. his son so manly and he couldn't yeah. show affection. Like, that song really fucking stuck with me my whole life. And I didn't even have a dad at that point. Never thought about being a dad. But I could cry to that song right now. And it, it, it has such an emotion to it. And nobody in punk rock was singing about, like, uh, dads raising their kids to be men. You can't be, you can't be gay and all this stuff. Nobody was singing about that shit. So for me, I was like, wow, right. this is like a topic that like, I, I don't know. I just, I connected to not just series, but I mean, also I love descendants and they sing about farting and all this stuff too. And I love that too. <laughs> um, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. And then That's like, I, and then yeah, uh, man, you know, before the, before the descendants, I didn't realize how important farting was. I but, you know, <laughs> once, once I heard them, and I understood that, you know, this is something I really believe strongly in. Yeah, dude, we all yeah. fart. But just they put on record, which was, that was insane. And even with Descendants, like, talking about coffee, like, my mom drank, like, Sanka. Like, I, I thought coffee was for adults. And then Descendants are singing, these punk rockers are singing about how much they love coffee. I'm like, holy shit, this isn't just for our parents. Like, they were the first ones right. talking about that shit. But you still, you still manage to, like, Keep away from from the whole Java experience until fairly recently, isn't that right? You said Java. <laughs> yeah. Java, yeah, drinking <laughs> drinking coffee. Like coffee was not your thing. It wasn't, and um, I drank it for the whole month of December last year, and then I quit on January second. Mm-hmm. I never had it since, and I don't miss it at all. It was really fun for like the month, but it made me jittery and shittery, and it made me it made made me like yeah. crash hard and get dehydrated and. <laughs> <laughs> it just yeah. it, 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 yeah. it didn't work for me man I'm, I'm already hyper as it is it just my wife loved it she's like oh my god finally you're addicted to something finally finally you're I don't know she's just teasing me about it um mm-hmm. but yeah then I had to let it go because it just it just wasn't me it wasn't working for my body but yeah I just yeah I yeah. never fucked with coffee yeah. my whole life but I, I respect it I and I, I learned a lot about it through Descendants for sure mug 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 and all that stuff and um sure yeah it's interesting man but uh so what? So 
So your first exposure to punk rock was in high school? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I sometimes try to try to remember, like, when was it? Because the first punk that I heard was definitely the Sex Pistols. Yeah. I, think... I'm like, I don't quite remember where I heard that, but definitely I think the next thing that I heard was The Clash. Yeah. But even when I got into The Clash, it took, it took a while for me to, to get into anything else. Like, I had no idea that there was any kind of music coming out of, of DC mm-hmm. until I started in this, in this art program. Okay. Um, one of the guys that I was in there with was Joe Lally. And Joe introduced me to a lot of stuff. That okay. I hadn't heard before. That, yeah. Like set the, you know, set me on my way. I mean, uh, everything from like Dead Kennedys to Joy Division to the Stooges, um, all of this stuff. Mm-hmm. And although oddly enough, it was it wasn't him that um, that introduced me to hardcore. It was uh, the brother of another friend of mine. Okay. But then when I heard about it and I was like, Joe, you got to hear this stuff. He's like, oh, yeah, I know all that stuff. Mm. Yeah. All right. All right. Like Circle Jerks? Yeah, that was. You know, for whatever reason, like, I, I think because my introduction to hardcore was started with DC bands. Yeah. I already, I already got like weirdly territorial. Gotcha. Wow. I was like, I was like, oh yeah, you know, uh, uh, I'm not going to listen to those California bands. Except for Agent Orange. Agent Orange made the cut. They were sick. Agent Orange was great. You know, I mean, there there were, there were lots of exceptions to the rule, but I was like, you know, uh, California bands, you know, they're not, they don't have the right attitude. <laughs> you know, Boston bands, they don't they don't have the right attitude. I'm I'm more into the DC thing. So no because, New York bands for you, know, you either, huh? Back then? I think at the point where I was getting into it, I don't know what New York bands were even around. Yeah. I yeah, mean, this yeah. was this was like eighty, eighty one. Okay. You know? Yeah. Uh so I didn't start I didn't <laughs> I should say I didn't start ignoring New York bands. Uh, until until much later, it's a, it's a ridiculous thing. But like I watched um, Godfathers of Hardcore the it's other day, amazing man. The uh, it was it was fucking great. How good is that? It's great. so good, man. But here's the deal: that's the first time I ever heard music by Agnostic Front. Wow. That's kind of cool, though. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of cool in a way, yeah. Holy shit, yeah, that's crazy, I, well, Peter. I mean, it's great. It's great to be able to hear it, and I, I loved it. But oh man, that that movie is awesome. It's incredible, man. It's absolutely awesome. Yeah, yeah, it was so good. So, so wow, that's so your first good. time ever hear, really hearing them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's one thing about um, doing field day now. Uh, it's sort of given me more of more of a reason to listen to a lot of stuff that I missed. 
Gotcha. The first go round. Yeah. Because, you know, as as I meet people doing this, I'm really curious about what you know. What's the stuff that they're into? What have they been listening to? Mm-hmm. You know. And of course, for me, it's all new, even though it's probably stuff that you know. Max is probably like, oh yes, that's the old man's music. Yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so, so um, all right, so yeah, it's true. All right, so in high, so back to high school for a second. Um, besides getting into music, did you did you were you good in school? Like, did you have like goals? Would you play sports? No, man. I was I was really like rudderless mm-hmm. in school. I mean, I had some talent for art, um, so I was able to get into this program, and and that was about the thing that I was the most serious about. But even with that. Like my my teacher really had to like stay on my ass yeah to get me to like put a portfolio together. Mm-hmm. Um, if if it wasn't for him, I'm sure that I would never have gotten into art school. Yeah. Uh, after high school, I went to the Pratt Institute in Brooklyn for a year. Oh wow! But I ended up dropping out because I wasn't, you know, half the time I wasn't even going to class. Yeah, the huge waste because it was a great school, mm-hmm. great teachers there. But I was just like, no man, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna sit in my room and, and listen to music all day. Wow. Um, it it's yeah. Um, I didn't get diagnosed with ADD until like much later in adulthood. But once I was diagnosed, everybody was like, it's pretty clear you've had this like forever uh, people say that about me i'm wondering i just is it just because it was hard to focus for you and stuff like that i mean yeah i mean that's that's pretty much it it's it's not i guess the, the um the thing with my experience is i can definitely focus on something if it's got my interest yeah but it interferes with um, setting realistic priorities. Yeah. So there's a lot of stuff that may be really uninteresting, but you kind of need to pay attention to it. Yeah. If you want to be able to live independently. Mm-hmm. And I just, uh, I just wasn't there. Yeah. I, I, I had this thing with Max where like he, he, he wanted to get tested for it because he's like, he wasn't doing as good in some certain classes. I'm like, listen, I was exactly the same way in school. I only focused on shit I cared about. If I wasn't into the subject, I didn't give a shit about it or pay attention to it. Like, I, I loved art. I loved shit. Maybe I don't know what else I loved in school, but I didn't really love I, I was really bad in school. I, all I cared about was skateboarding. I would skip school. I would skate every day. I'm like, my mom couldn't mm-hmm. really. Can, not control, but she was so busy with like trying to survive that we we like just skating. Right. I wasn't getting in trouble. I wasn't doing any drugs, nothing. But I was just like skating every day, and I just focused on shit that I cared about. And that's what Max was having issues with too. And then he wanted to get tested, and I'm like, "You sure? You sure? You sure?" And then his grades were really great. Like this up until this quarantine is the best grades I ever got. Mm-hmm. You know, in eleventh uh, grade, and I was and I was like that too. Ninth and tenth grade. And then I got better in 11th and 12th. I started paying attention more. But like I was, I've always been told, like you're so hyperactive. I think my mom had me on Ritalin when I was a kid, possibly. 
um, because I was super hyperactive, hard to focus, hard to sit still in my chair. Um, But it wasn't called ADD back then. I guess maybe it was. I don't know. But um, I mean, I certainly never heard that term. Yeah. You know, the only thing I ever heard was, your problem is you're a spaz. Exactly. And that was that, that was it, you know. You remember Joe you remember Joe Cola? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's funny. I haven't, I haven't thought about Jolt in a long time, but sure. You always to drink that shit and go crazy. It'd make you so hyper and go skateboarding drinking a Jolt Cola. Oh my god, man. Um yeah. so so once you got diagnosed with ADD, you're already out of school, obviously. And then you oh, re- like like this was this was I I think I got diagnosed within like the last twenty years. Okay. Like I I was already like the experience that I was having in school, where of of being like capable of doing work, but just not following through. Mm-hmm. That followed me into everything in adult life. Got you. Um, and it was like maybe the second go around of like trying to find a career and not getting anywhere with it that I finally went and, and saw a doctor and he was like, yeah, you know, maybe, maybe you need to talk with a, a psychologist mm-hmm. or maybe even a psychiatrist and see what's, see what's up with that. You know, but as a, as a kid, nah, I had, I had absolutely no idea. So then once you got like a, Not I guess all. a label or title for what you had, did it all make sense to you? Like everything you've been through as far as like school and focusing and life leading up to that point? I, it did. I question it a little bit more now mm-hmm. only because I'm aware of, of how much about my upbringing I don't know. Mm. Like the, uh, you know, I like I don't have access to to my parents anymore, so there aren't I can't really uh, quiz them on things. Gotcha. And my brother and sister know some stuff, but again, they were they were all off on on their own trip. Yeah. You know, so they don't. Uh, both of them moved away from home like as soon as they got out of high school. So my whole adolescent teenage years, they don't they don't really know much about. Gotcha. You know, um, but yeah, it, some some things made sense. Some yeah. Things, but you know, the the questions I have at this point are more about my parents and their style of parenting. Gotcha. Uh, and where where their heads were at. Mm-hmm. Um, because you know you get you get into your fifties and you have a completely different perspective on um, you know when I think about about my parents and the age they were when I was a teenager, I realize they were a lot younger than I am now. Yeah. So I almost think of them as kids too. It's like oh god, they were just they were just in their thirties. What the fuck did they know? Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. So, so, and I mean, I, I love my parents. My parents were great, but the choices that they made, um, they were very sort of like hands off, like, you know, you do your thing. If you ever, you know, have a problem, come and talk to me about it. But yeah, they didn't, they weren't like checking to see if, if there were things going on. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they, they didn't want to 
they didn't want to interfere and they thought that was that was the right way to approach it and maybe in some instances it is and others maybe it's not yeah well, so they, so they weren't strict at all no no you had lots of freedom they really they they really weren't mm-hmm. and it's not like we were you know we were all out of control yeah. but um but i mean when my when i started coming home with bad grades mm-hmm. um you know, I got a look of disapproval, but nothing, there was no follow-up, you know. And what I got out of that was the next time I got a bad report card, nobody saw it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, it, and they weren't necessarily asking, mm. you know. So, I don't know. It's a, it's a trip. You guys are really... Go ahead. Uh, not being a parent myself... Um, there's a lot about it that I probably won't ever know just because I haven't had the same experience. I can't yeah. go, Oh yeah, now I get it. You know? Yeah. Your voice, by the way, your voice sounds perfect right now. It sounds a little muffled a little bit. Now it sounds per, I don't know what you did, but it sounds perfect right now, by the way. Um, Oh, good. Good. I was going to tell you a second. So with, with, is, with they, you guys grew up religious at all or no? <laughs> so my dad, uh, he was a Catholic priest. Mm, wow. And okay. He was a he was a Catholic priest, I believe, up until the point where it was obvious he was going to have a child. Yeah. My my older brother. So he was in a seminary in Oxford, and my mom was one of the like maids at this place. Okay. And she had moved from, from Germany to England and the two of them started this affair. Okay. And when my mom got, got pregnant, my dad left the priesthood. Oh, wow. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. So you would think Maybe I grew up in like a very strict Catholic family, but it, it really wasn't that way. Mm-hmm. It was it was really weird. My dad was definitely Catholic, but he was like his approach to Catholicism was just like his approach to medicine. Like he was a guy who, if he got diagnosed with high blood pressure. Mm-hmm he would find a doctor who said he didn't have high blood pressure. Oh, wow. He, like, shopped around. Damn. And so my dad did, my dad did a lot of, like, religious shopping around, too. Okay. Still, still all within Catholicism, mm-hmm. but it's like he had to find, you know, the right, pe- the right priest and the right parish and, yeah. and all of this shit. Wow. Um, my, bro- my brother and sisters went to Catholic school um, through, almost through all of high school. They did like their last couple of years in public school. I got thrown out of Catholic school uh, in third grade. <laughs> and I, I still don't really know why. All I know is at a certain point, my parents were like, hey, you're going to be going to public school now. And oh, apparently shit. someone at the school just said, we don't think, we don't think your son is going to do well here. Wow. You know? 
And that was that was all the explanation I got. I don't know. Maybe I have the mark of the devil on my forehead. <laughs> uh, so I have no you, idea. So you never but I didn't mind. Wow. No, no, I really don't. Um, but I definitely didn't mind. Like I liked I liked public school a lot more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You I, know? I uh, but, we, go ahead. No, no, no. I was gonna say yeah. We were raised Catholic as well. Um, and uh. Did our first communion, did all that stuff. My mom was really heavy on make, forcing us to go to church, especially then after my dad passed too. We like church all the time. And uh, I don't know if this is fucked up to say, but me and my brothers talked about it recently. Is that like, I don't know if you saw that movie Spotlight. It's about all the priest child molestation cases in Boston. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. So me and my brothers talked about it recently. Like, we went to all those, we went to churches there and we were pro- we were so fucking lucky nothing happened to us because we were we were prime targets. We had like uh, our, our we had no dad. Our dad just died, and with three like young boys yeah. going to church. I think my brothers were altar boys. We were so during all that time. It's crazy when the movie came out. We we're talking about it like it's not I'm not saying it should have happened to us. I'm saying we're very lucky it didn't. But like at that moment, three young boys going to church all the time in those same churches with no father figure, and it, just, it was. It's crazy, man. It was to think back and think about that, you know, because we were heavily in, into church. We went into it. My mom made us go, but God, I hated going to church, man. Damn, man. I did yeah, not like going. I, I, I wasn't a fan. Yeah, I definitely wasn't a fan. That's like a key. That's that's a perfect example of kids rebelling against their parents and why parents shouldn't force shit on you. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I could not wait never to go there again after we, you know, I got old enough to say I. I when I moved out or whatever, like I'm not going to that shit. But yeah, when, when did yeah, you? When did you? I mean, did you move away from home when when you were young or no? No. Uh, so I'm trying to think. I don't think I actually ended up moving out of my mom's house. My my parents got divorced when I was. I'm going to say like 10 or 11. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, but my dad moved away like within walking distance. Oh, okay. So, you know, I was, I saw my dad all the time. Yeah. You know, like, like practically every day. Yeah. Um, but I didn't move out of my mom's house until I think I was already in dad nasty. Oh, wow. And I ended up moving in with, uh, with Mandana. Okay. Um, we've been together for ever. You guys met. I was nineteen when I. Okay. Yeah, I was nineteen when I met her. So I was, I was out of high school. Yeah. Um, but she was still in high school. Wow. Okay. That's an amazing love story, man. To be together that long—that's incredible, man. Yeah. (laughs) Lucky me, man. Yeah, man. Lucky me. Very. She's awesome. awesome. She's so awesome. Um. All right, so wait, so, so how were so you had other bands before Dagnasty though? I looked at some of your bands, and maybe I'm wrong if they were before or after, but like Pitbull, Pro Tem, uh, those those Vampiros, Vampiros, uh, Lunchbox, Blood Bats. Was that before Dagnasty or after? So let's see. So in in order, the first. So everything before Dagnasty. Uh, that was Body Count, Lunchbox, Pitbull, 
<laughs> and pro tem. Pro tem. And yeah. in pro tem, I was playing bass. Oh, sick. In all the others, I was singing. Okay. Body count was something I was in for like a couple of seconds. Uh, and then a, a, a buddy of mine who I was sharing the mic with took over. Um, and they went on and did like some, some pretty cool stuff. I'll have to, I'll have to get you their, uh, their demo. Okay. Um, Lunchbox and Pitbull were both things that, that barely made it out of the basement. Okay. Like no, no recordings, nothing like that. But those were both with, uh, with Joe, with okay. Joe Lally. He had decided, um, he just decided one day, he was like, I'm going to learn to play bass and I'm going to be a bass player. That's what I'm going to do with my life. Wow. And he was serious. And that's yeah. exactly what he did. Oh, that's cool, man. That's awesome. So the, the first go round, he was just like, look, do you want to, do you want to do a band? Because I want to be a bass player. I'm like, yeah, okay. You get some <laughs> people together. I'll, I'll, I'll do it. Sounds like fun. Yeah. But you know, it's, it, I, I think about that. And I was, I was going to ask you about this. Like, at what point did you develop the desire to sing for a band? The, I, the thing for the thing for H2O was kind of like, I mean, it was a joke. It was, you know, I had wrote, wrote one song called My Love Is Real. I was a roadie for Sick of It All. We were traveling mm-hmm. around the world for like four, I was with him for like four or five years. And we do like a do encore or something fun. And um, I would go up and uh-huh. do this screaming song with the guys in Sick of It All playing the music for it. And I made stickers and we started spreading the word. There's a band called H2O. I don't even know why I called it that. I think because it was going to be like a spinoff, like a youth crew band because water is so pure and all I drink is water. And I, I don't know. It was, it was just a fun, goofy thing. And I had no... All I knew is I left Southern Maryland um, and I wanted to move to New York and they moved it by myself. I was pen pals with Timmy Chunks from Token Entry. I got dropped off at CBGB's with all my shit. Token Entry was playing a Sunday matinee. I was totally scared. Never been to CBGB's before. After the show, I went back to his house in Queens. That's where I was going to live and get a job and do something in music. I, I had nothing. I didn't go to college. I barely made it out of high school. And I started working and we're actually doing ro- weekend stuff with like Underdog and Gorilla Biscuits and Raw Deal and Sick of It All. Like doing these little roadie tri-state area type things. Got a job working in the mailroom at Roadrunner Records and Concrete Marketing and then, I don't know, I guess people started actually saying they liked the one song that I was doing. And it's actually on the recording of the end of our first album. It's uh, Rancid was playing a sold-out show at the Wetlands on their first album with a veil. And they invited me up on stage to do this song. And we did the song to like a sold-out crowd of like random punk rockers. And they were just staring at me like, what the fuck is this? And then even Lars on the microphone, he goes, new record coming out next summer in Epitaph. Like just totally joking. Meanwhile, like five years later, we're signed Epitaph, which is totally insane. But it was just something funny and goofy. And then I was like, fuck it. Let's just just try to do it. And we wrote like five songs. And then um, Sick of It All took us on this tour with Civ for eight weeks in a bus in 1995. It was H2O, Civ, and Sick of It All. And we fucking had five songs in one t-shirt. And... And that was it. And that was just that was the beginning of it, I guess. I mean, I, I didn't know I didn't want to be a singer. I didn't know I could even sing or at least think I could sing a melody. Cause the the one song we did, I was screaming, my nose would bleed. 
I get hemorrhoids probably. Like I was just screaming the wrong way, and it was just, it was totally, ins- <laughs> it was totally insane. And then I lose my voice after that one song. So like, after the eight week tour, I was like, fuck. Then we get offered a record deal and a seven inch, and just it just it just happened. But it wasn't ever supposed to happen, dude. I was supposed to be the guy who pulled my pants down, did Pussy Boy on stage. I would do crazy sack flap. I would do crazy shit stuff that I talk about off the podcast. People listen to the podcast, they know they've heard the stories from Sick of It. I was a crazy, wild, hyperactive kid that they took on tour, and I was supposed to be the weirdo on the side of the stage, diving in the crowd, helping the band. I just, I wasn't supposed to be, it wasn't supposed to happen. Here I am 25 years later in the same fucking band. But back then, it was just a joke, man, and it just became reality, and I had no expectations of being a singer. I'll move to New York and be a singer and start a band. It was nothing like that. I was like, I'm going to move to New York. I love this. I love the hardcore scene. I love, I want to be part of this scene and do something. And it just fucking happened, man. And it's, and it's only band I've ever been in. Like I didn't do anything before that. You know what I mean? Somebody like, oh, I had a couple bands before that. I've been in one band. Uh, it's, it's interesting, man. It's sorry. I talk so much, but yeah, it, it I just, is, it's weird. It's, no, it is seriously interesting. I mean, that is, that is really a trip. That is really a trip because to me, not just like having seen you on stage, but just getting to know you, it seems like the most natural thing in the world. So it's a trick that it happens practically as an accident. Totally. As an accident. You know? Yes. Yeah, it's, it's, it's insane. Yeah. Obviously, I love being on stage. I love it. Yeah, I mean, I love what I do. I love I love playing shows. I love writing songs. I love I love everything about the whole thing. But I just didn't. I, I took a chance when I moved to New York by myself. I knew one. I knew Timmy Chunks. That's it. And literally a month after I I left my first love in Maryland on a winding fucking road through the woods of Southern Maryland, saying goodbye to my first love, my first everything. And then going to New York, I get kicked out a month later because Timmy Chunks is like, sorry, my." Delano doesn't want you here. And then at that point, Arthur from Token Entry had just quit Token Entry to go on Gorilla Biscuits. So Arthur took me in. I lived at his parents' house, man. It lived in his fucking bedroom. I was like all over Queens at these different people's apartments, man. It was it was crazy, man. So like I'm saying, like Tim, for Timmy Chunks, it was like no big deal. Yeah, come to New York, you live with me. For me, I was leaving everything. My mom, I was the first kid out of the family to leave. Well, obviously Tracy, but like, leave Maryland. I left it by myself. And, and to, for, for me, I gave up, my, I gave up everything for them. Well, come stay in New York. It's all good. You know, like it wasn't a big deal, but for me, I was like a little kid. Like I never forget getting like my dear John letter from my girlfriend. Like, sorry, I can't do a long distance relationship anymore. I was like, so I was crying and the New York love, like you feel the New York tough love. Like just get over it, kid. Who cares? Like the, the, the ball breaking and the love and the tough, tough love. I never had that my whole life till I moved to New York. And I was around yeah. all these peers and all these people I, I grew up loving and listening to. They took me under the wing. Obviously, they called me like a hick and they teased the shit out of me. But they gave me like a tougher uh-huh. tougher coat of paint. You know what I mean? Like they definitely. Sure. It was something I never experienced before. And um, yeah, man, just I, I just took that chance. And so um, I, I'm very lucky, man. I'm very lucky to still be playing music and, you know, not. I don't know. I just didn't really. 
I didn't expect that to happen. You know what I mean? I don't know what I was going to do, but I don't know. Here I am, man, talking to you. You know, it's, it's, <laughs> a, it's a funny thing, though, because, you know, I, I hear that story, and what I think is the people around you were really lucky. Mm. Because I think that, I think that, I mean, think about the situation you're talking about with when you moved to New York yeah. and and the tough love that you received. It occurs to me that for some people, the compassion that they showed to you might have been their first opportunity to ever do that. Mm-hmm. You might have you might have brought out something in people that was there, but they hadn't had a chance to really have that happen yet. That is, that I mean, is it's awesome, man. That's a very interesting way to look at it, actually. I never thought about that. Well, I mean, if nothing else, part of the reason that I got interested in seeing the documentary on Agnostic Front mm-hmm. and ended up wanting to listen to all these New York bands and all of these other bands that I hadn't been listening to, you know, in the decades that they were around, was because of your story. Hmm. Because I had this idea of what these bands were like and just feeling like without even knowing them, without knowing dick about them, just whatever, like, impressions I got through my own muddied head, I felt like, well... I wouldn't have any connection with this music. This this wouldn't mean anything to me. Mm-hmm. And then when I stopped to think, yeah, but these are the guys that were taking care of Toby. These awesome, were the guys man. that were like making sure that he was on his feet, that he had a place to stay, that he had family. And I was like, yeah, I I, I think I want to hear these bands now. That's amazing, I, I think man. I, I think Thank I can you. feel like a thread, a connection. Yeah. You know? For sure, man. It definitely we we def we definitely were um we definitely were a different sound and a different fit, but they definitely took us under their wing and accepted us into that family out there. You know what I mean? Because we we none of us were from New York. We just came there, and, and a lot of people and a lot of the bands aren't all from New York as well. But New York City is where the band started and their bands were born, and that's where we were born. And um, yeah, it was definitely yeah. I mean. It couldn't happen any any other place in the world because I lo- I love that scene so much, and I had been going to shows in D.C. which I got to go to so many great shows. I got to see Embrace perform with Rights of Spring. I got to see Fugazi's first show, one of the Fugazi shows. Ian was handing out lyric sheets, so I got to be a part of all that stuff as well. My timing was impeccable because I got to go to Newport, Rhode Island when skateboarding was thriving, Verbal Salt, and then I got to go to Southern Maryland and start going to these shows like the Wilson Center and the Wust and Nine Thirty Club and DC space and all these great shows and these, um, at these different, um, churches and all this stuff. And Rusty would drive me up there with Shauna Kenny, a friend of ours. And we get to see all the DC bands. And what happened was I met token entry when they came to play the marble bar with Rollins. And that's when I met those guys. And just all the timing was just, I really believe timing is everything. I just feel like the timing that was in these different scenes was the best time to be there. And I was very lucky to have been there and who knows what happened if I did have a dad that didn't die and he was strict and made me go in the military or something I could have been raised a totally different way if my mom was working two jobs at a time to raise three boys if, if my dad was in the mix who knows what 
how stricter or different my life would have been because my mom was so busy too as well. And I don't know. I just feel like, and I connected with the punk because I saw father figures in like Kevin Seconds and Ian and Milo and these different people, Jello and the lyrics and the songs. And I put them on this pedestal. I looked up to them because they, they were my, they were like a father figure to me that I didn't have. And that's, I think really um, connected me. Um, I don't know, man. It's, it's punk rocks are very amazing uh, form of music in hardcore and it's very misunderstood and it has a lot of different um, uh, stigmas about it too as far as how it looks on the outside. But for me, it was very welcoming and very warm and, and a family I didn't have. You know, I love the smell of the show, the sweat, the energy. You could talk, the band would be playing and then they'd be right, hanging up by the merch right after. Like, holy shit. We were all equal. It was just there was something about it that really just resonated with me very young, man. And I'm sure it's the same for a lot of people, you know? Well, you know, it's funny because the 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 what you were describing, um it sounds like like I would have a hard time imagining something that warm and fuzzy happening in DC at least DC in the in the 80s like when you talk about the New York bands becoming like a family in that sense like if, if you can see some of the guys you met in New York as parental figures then I would see People in the DC scene are more like the sort of distant waspy parents, mm. you know, like, and, and this is, this is being totally unfair to them because I don't know them. I, I have all I can go is talk honestly about like my teenage and early twenties experience, uh, experience and recognizing that it's like completely subjective totally but to me um i never lost the sense of i have to impress these people all the time mm. like like you know i'm not from the inner circle Okay. It was so, clicky. Yeah. Unless I'm unless unless I'm proving myself to them, unless I've got something to say that like can't be disagreed with, uh, I better just like lay low. Mm. You know. Yeah. But again, you know, I think that that has a lot more to do with what I was bringing to it. Or what you're feeling and at that time? Are you going through my that time? own background? And mm. you know, I have I have no idea. Yeah, I I I, but I, I, I maybe felt, New York was the place to be. Yeah, I felt I felt 100 being myself. Everybody was from fucked up backgrounds. Like uh, you know, like everybody came from a situation that wasn't the typical perfect American family. And everybody met at CBGB's on Sundays. It was a fucking like going to church, and everybody had. It, it was a community thing for me, and I, I I had no problem being myself. I was always the fucking freak. 
I was always like that growing up. I was always a guy that wasn't doing drugs. I was a skateboard kid. I didn't give a fuck. I breakdanced. I, I just, that's always been, and, and for me, punk rock taught me that, that I, I don't have to give a fuck or have to feel accepted because when I was at the shows, I was part of a family and all the freaks and all that. It wasn't like you were saying, you felt like it was more clicky, maybe a clicky, clicky feel in, in DC. Obviously there's clicks in New York, but it wasn't, it was, I know what you're saying though. I almost feel like some, some of the, bands in dc were almost like um professors to me they taught me so much and it was like way smarter level not saying new york was dumb but it was like on some other level they were on some other shit you know even with like the benefit concerts just everything they were involved in was very like they were in the mix of the real world it wasn't just in this hardcore scene that was escaping the real world a lot of the dc shit was like going against the the, the government just everything they were doing they were speaking out age just everything they were being more they were more like um, activists in a sense, you know what I'm saying? Like they 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 taught me that kind of stuff. It was yeah, it was yeah, more like definitely. educated. It wasn't street shit like New York. It was a different, but I loved it too because I learned so much from all those bands. Soul Side, obviously Dag Nasty, like everything. Government Issue, Black Market Baby, Marginal Man, uh, Swizz, Scream, all those bands. Man, Embrace, one of my favorites, but like. And just singing, and just showing the emotion side. Okay, let's let's do that, like the summer of love type stuff. That was showing like some emotional side of the music too. And all hark, all music has emotion. Agnostic Front have emotion. Agnostic, Mabel have emotion. They show in a different way. But there was some other shit. Like when I saw, like when I was at the Beefeater um, show with uh, Embrace, they were throwing flowers on the stage. It was a different. It was a different thing. It was more um, grown up, I guess. I don't know how to describe it. You know what I mean? Like it wasn't. But you were in it. You were in the mix, so, you know? Yeah, although even I look at it and I'm like, wow, man, what was going on? Because at the point where Embrace and Beefeater were yeah. around, I mean, I'm trying to think. I'm trying to remember. I Embrace was, I, I don't think, was still together once I was in Dad Nasty. Okay. Um, yeah, I don't think so either. They, they were definitely, they definitely existed when Diagnosis started out. Mm -hmm. That's for sure. But yeah. I think they might have already been done. Um, I think Beefeater was probably still together because uh, the drummer, yeah, they definitely were because um, their second drummer was also uh, in pro tem with me. Okay. And in fact, he was the guy that, that uh, told me that it would be funny if I answered Dad Nasty's ads uh, looking for a new singer as a joke. <laughs> That's funny. But, That's um, awesome. But even even with those bands, I was, I was always like, man, I they were still totally on a pedestal to me. Yeah. And mm -hmm. and like what they were thinking and what was behind everything, I don't know what they were thinking. Yeah. I don't know what they were about. I just yeah. know that I enjoyed it. Yeah, you know? I loved Embrace. That record just that's in my that's in my top oh. record, you know. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, man. Embrace, Embrace was fantastic. But 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 not even just in like punk or hardcore. I put like like Nas, Nas, Illmatic's one of my favorite records of all time. It's a hip hop. Embrace would be in the top five as well. Like it does doesn't matter what genre, just a a record that like can still fuck with my fuck with my heartstrings. Something that, you know, what I mean, I still connect to it. It's yeah, it's. Yeah, yeah, I get it, man. I, I, there, there are times when I know better 
than to listen to building. Because mm. I'm like, okay, do I feel do I feel like crying right now? Yeah, totally you know, because that that's, that song will get me every time. So yeah, so so what were you doing right before you got into Dagnasty? What band was that? Oh, that was Pro Ten. I was playing bass. And what does that mean, Pro Ten? Uh, Pro Ten means for the moment. Okay. And why I have no more idea of why that was the name of the band than I I I have no idea. (laughs) But that was um, let's see, that was my high school friend. Uh, Damon Locks, he was singing. Uh, Mark Shellhouse was playing drums, um, and for a while he was playing drums also with Beefeater. Okay. And then uh, the guitarist was Yanni Papadopoulos. I heard that name. What's that name? And so Yanni, uh, well, Yanni get, gets name checked along with Mark. Oh, yeah, Yanni. And, uh, yeah, Yanni. Yeah, Yanni. Yes, yes. Yanni Drive. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay. And Yanni ended up moving to Philadelphia too. He's still here. Oh, nice. He has he has this band called Stinking Lizavetta, who are unfucking real. Okay. Unreal. Check it out. They are like um, they're three piece. They're instrumental, and they. At a certain point, like when they started out, they were going to have a singer. Okay. And after a while, they realized they were just better off without one. Like the music was all that they needed. Um, and they are super, super intense and a lot of fun. You're going to send me a link to that. A lot of fun. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. You got to hear these guys. So They are great. So how, how did you end up in Dagnasty then? Like was it audition? So they had, they had uh, an ad in the local city paper, which I responded to, and as near as I can figure, I don't think they auditioned more than maybe three people. Okay. Uh, as far as I know, and I don't think that they were really like crazy about any of us. Okay. But the decision ended up being made based on who they thought they could stand being stuck in a van with. Mm, I like and, that. And so, yeah. Yeah. So, um, that was, that was how I ended up getting the gig. And it, it just, it just went from there. Well, you, we, I, go ahead. I was a huge fan. I was going to ask you that. Yeah. 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 Like I was so like when, when I auditioned for them, you know, I didn't have to have a lyric sheet. Like I knew the song. Nice. Um, I had only seen them with, with Dave once because he was in the band, like such a short period. Such a short time. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, with the exception of, of one song, all of those songs were songs they were already playing with Sean. Okay. Like all the lyrics, all the music, it was it was already there. Had you seen um, it before with Sean before that or no? Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. Tons of times. Yeah. Pro Ten played with them, uh at okay. least once. Okay. Uh, but yeah, I would go see them every chance I got. I 
absolutely loved the band. So, you know, I thought I thought it was cool, but um so that, you know, but once I got in it, it was uh I was really like, wow, do I really want to sing for a band? And I thought about like singing for a band since I was like 6 or 7 years old. Wow, okay. Um just but just in 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 the kind of like, oh yeah, it'd be great to be in a band, man. Mm-hmm. like have all these sands and get to sing and do all this stuff, but I didn't know anything about it. Yeah. And I mean, I, 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 the bands that I sang for, you know, in a, in a couple of basements, uh, at that time I was like really into Henry Rollins. Nice. So that was like, you know, that was where I was trying to come from. And that was, that was not what, um, what Dag Nasty was like at all. No. I went into it thinking, oh, it'll be cool. I'll just do, I'll do the songs like, like Shaw did them. And they were like, no, 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 no. Here, you, you got to hear this, this recording with Dave. Like, that's, that's what you've got to do. And I was like, oh, okay. So when you joined, yeah, they, were, they were trying to have you, you know. sing like Smalley, kind of. Well, that's what, that's what they wanted. Um, after, you know, it didn't take more than a couple of shows for them to realize that it, it wasn't going to happen that way. <laughs> yeah. You know. Um, and I don't know at what point. So when I joined the band, I joined in order for them to be able to do this tour with the Descendants. Gotcha. And if not at the point where I joined, but definitely somewhere, you know, in the first month or so of that tour, I think that the band had pretty much decided that it was going to break up as soon as the tour was done. Okay. And which, which in fact is what ended up happening. So like we came back to DC, we did uh, a recording of like three or four songs. um, And then that was it. The, The band was over and Brian went to, uh, to Los Angeles, junkyard, uh, and he started a band. He started a band with Doug. Oh, okay. Um, and uh, Brad X from uh, Doggy Style. Okay, so that wasn't junkyard at that band. time, or no? No, no. Okay, that, okay, that okay. wasn't that wasn't later. So this band was called uh, Doggy Rock, and they put out a record, and I don't know what happened with it, but. Next thing I know, I got a call from, from Brian. Uh, he said, I'm moving back to D.C. Uh, we're going to start up Dag again. Um, Doug is going to be playing bass. Oh, wow. Okay. And, and at that point, the, the music that they came back with was, they thought it would be more geared to the way I sang. Mm-hmm. Uh, melodic. Was, you know, yeah, yeah. Um, and that, that was, that was it. Yeah. So when you first heard those songs, was, were you taken back by them because it was different than the, can I say more aggressive type style of Dagnasty or you just, I, I actually really liked it. Like I thought, I thought it was, I thought it was very cool. Um, 
I think that I wasn't initially very happy with what I ended up doing with them. Okay. But but at least the music itself, I thought, oh yeah, this is pretty cool. Yeah. Because I was a lot of the music I listened to at that time was really more like what they ended up coming up with yeah. for, for Wig Out mm-hmm. um, than, than the earlier stuff. And also, you know, I knew, like, I would, I would love to hear more music, like, can I say? Yeah. But I also know that, uh, at least at the time, I didn't feel like I could do that kind of music justice. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because now Field Day is doing it, and like I love doing the Can I Say stuff. Yeah, sound great doing it too. By the way, yeah, yeah it's awesome. It wor- it really works. It's it, it's just it's just so much fun. Mm-hmm. It is so much fun to do. Yeah, you know. But I it, but it took me like you know thirty years to realize that. <laughs> when I, I think I just had had a real mental block. You know. Mm. When the when the Wig Out record came out, how, what was response? Because was there how long was the gap between Can I Say and Wig Out? Do you remember? Yeah, it was. Uh, I'm gonna say no more than maybe eight months. Holy shit! For real? Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's 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 weird, but it was not a long time. Like, uh, Can I Say? didn't actually come out, I think, until after I joined the band. Okay. It had been it had been pressed. I mean, you know, uh, when I auditioned, Brian gave me a copy of it, but it hadn't actually it wasn't available for sale yet. Holy and I don't shit. think it was available for sale until until we were already like on the road for our first show. Wow. Um but so it was a weird thing going out and touring with this record with like a different singer. Yeah. Especially people... since I didn't sound anything like Dave. Mm-hmm. You know, so that was a, that was a weird thing right there. Um, but then six months later to, to put out something that was so completely different. Um, my feeling was I probably paid more attention at the time to people who didn't like it yeah, than people who did like it. Yeah. And that's pre-internet too. So it's like, it was hearing from, that was just like word of mouth. Oh, this guy, this person doesn't like it. That person doesn't like it. Right. Cause it was like no internet. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, my wife says that sometimes. But, it's like it's like it's not who didn't show up to the show. It's actually who showed up that's the most important. Right, right. Yeah, I, it's you know I still feel that way. Yeah, but that record. So was it like was there blowback? Was it tons of blowback? Did people love it? Do you remember like first playing playing those songs live after the record had been out? We out? So it it depended on where we played. Um, if we played places where people didn't necessarily, they hadn't necessarily heard the first record. People yeah. tended to dig it. Because, you know, I mean, whatever whatever else people thought of the material, 
when we played it live, it works. We were killing it. Yeah, totally. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So, and because we played live a lot, like we were just constantly going out and playing. Uh, I think we ended up getting more people to like it because their first experience with us was seeing us play live. Yeah, I like that. Rather than hearing the record. Mm -hmm. And then if there were people who their first exposure to the band was wig out and they had never heard Can I Say, yeah, those people tended to be more on board. Whereas if they'd heard Can I Say, they were like, oh, fuck, I wanted more of that. Mm -hmm. You know? And then how was how was your home like, how was DC vibing on it when that came out? The shows were really good. Awesome. Like the reaction when we would play was really good. I got the feeling that people in other DC bands might not have thought that much of it. Mm. Gotcha. But, you know, but again, that's like, I look back at that and I'm like, I don't know that that was true. Like, I was a very, very, very insecure guy. Maybe it was in your head, yeah. So, yeah. so in my head, in, yeah, definitely in my head, it was like, oh God, you know, they hate us. Mm -hmm. But you felt weird before that anyway, but, just as a kid going to shows, you even said that. Like, you felt like kind of like an out. Yeah. So, yeah, so when, that now... You feel like everybody's looking at you now because now you now you replace Dave Smalley and put a new record out and it sounds different than Can I Say? Yeah, totally. Although the, the only thing that was funny about that was that in any place outside of DC, I felt like I was any time that I played, I was up against Smalley. I was mm. up against people's expectations, but in DC. It was a completely different story because people in D.C. were really pissed off when they kicked out Sean mm. and replaced him with Smalley. Because, mm. you know, it was just like this sudden thing. Like Got you. They wrote all of this music with Sean. They recorded everything except for two songs. Everything else I can I say, they recorded with Sean. And then they said, boop, you're out, days in, and they re-recorded everything. Wow. And people people did not think that was cool. Yeah, that, that's kind of, I didn't even, that's crazy, yeah. Wow. But, you know, outside of town, people were like, fuck yeah, this record's great. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah, they, they didn't know from Sean. Yeah, I remember even hearing the, that song, and I mean, hearing the record when it first came out, too, I was like, Holy shit! This is do singer like, but it worked. It wasn't like, it wasn't like we were, it wasn't like we were missing, Smalley because can I say it's his own thing? But then in Diagnostic, these songs being sung by him might, might not work. But then you, like all this, I mean every song on the record was just, just everything, just opening, just Godfathers, everything, trying and safe and, uh, fall and everything, exercises. This, but safe, obviously we covered that song. They just. That song connected so much to me. I mean, I even, I'm just, I, I, I don't know, man. Just safe is just. I mean, Godfather too, man. Just all, the whole thing had this uh, emotional. It was an emotional roller coaster from the first song to the last song. I feel like it was just so much in there, man. Um, were you proud of it? You, you, well, it's you, interesting go though. Ahead. Go ahead. 
Okay. I, I was really I was really curious about um, the fact that you chose safe to cover because I know I've met a lot of people who on that record that's the song that they really go for and yeah. that's really that's interesting to me so the the that's a song that Dag had already written the music for that song um, by the time I joined. Yeah. But they didn't have lyrics for it. But the main lyric, the, you know, am I safe if I don't want to be with you? Yeah. That came, that came from Brian. Okay. So Brian, like, and the majority of the lyrics uh, on Can I Say are Brian's. Hmm. Okay. Like I've tried to figure out if any of those lyrics were Sean's, but I don't think so. I uh, think they were they were pretty much Brian's. I think I connected with Safe because because um, back then one of our friends was hanging out with a different crowd of like more tough guys. This was like in Maryland outside of DC. Right. He got he got caught up in the whole like tough guy thing, and when we see him, he'd act kind of normal with us because we knew who he really was, but. He was putting on a front in front of this other crew of people that he was trying to be down with. And, and that song was totally about stuff like it just resonated with me, I think. And all of us, when they record came out, it was about somebody we'd be dealing with at that one moment when living in Maryland and like, going to shows in D.C. He was caught up in the skinhead scene and all that. And hearing that song, I was like, holy shit, and just totally related to it. And that, that song really stuck out to me. But Godfather is amazing. Just all, all of them, man. Simple Minds. Everything, man. The Crucial Three, just the whole record. That that that's a perfect. That's another one I put in my top perfect records f from beginnings. And I and trust me, I fucking play the shit. I can I say I love can I say I love Smalley on the. I love that. But but Wig Out is it is a is Dag Nasty to me. It was the, it's a it's a different it's a different chapter, man. And it really and it really worked. And your vocals and your tone and your emotion. Those songs still make me fucking goosebumpy today, man. It, it's. You should be really proud of that record, man. I mean, it's just a really. Oh, thank you, Toby. It, 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 that means that means a lot to me. That it, really means a lot to me. I mean, it's a really important record uh, to so many people, and and it's a part of, you know, the punk hark or whatever history. And I don't know, I just the timing of it too. What, what year that came out? That came out. Um, let me check my note. That came eighty seven. Yeah, I was seventeen. It came out in eighty seven. Yeah, yeah. It's it's right before I moved to New York. I moved to New York in eighty eight. So we, we we are heavy going to shows like 8045 86 in DC. Um when I came out like I remember like did you hear the Dagnasty record wig out like what is this what does the fuck wig out mean? Like we were so used to the can I say but then like we loved it. Right. You know what I right. mean? Like I loved it. And I, and I, my whole band are are on the same page as like we loved when 7 seconds went melodic and people hated them i loved it new and records one of my favorites as well i love when they tried different shit and they sang more melodic there was still seven seconds you know you know they went from like the crew walked together rock together but then they had new wind which was like i don't know i just love i love when i love hearing bands like change it up and you hear outside influences that aren't just punk rock and like i don't know i just i just loved I just love the record, and I wasn't mad or bummed or where is this guy or why does it sound like this? As a kid, it's new Dag Nasty. Maybe they're on some other shit. We don't know. What the fuck is a wig out? What is a Denko? You know, like <laughs> right. right. So it was. It was. I don't know. It was a, 
the diff and uh, the flame was a little def it was a new flame it wasn't the flame with the burning head it was just yeah it was back then it, it wasn't yeah. like it it was be pre-internet that was pre-internet like it wasn't it was just it didn't it wasn't like a big deal that it was a different singer and it was another record at least to me and my friends like okay cool you know it wasn't well, like that's the thing yeah. that's the thing too it's it's um because it doesn't it, it doesn't have to be a big deal mm-hmm and and it's something I think about a lot now, just in terms of like not even uh, not even ha- having any kind of judgment about it, but just accepting it as a fact. For some people, uh, sometimes they get into something, and if it changes, it really does piss them off. Yeah, like it's like it's it's personal. Mm. it's personal like you you know they're, they're angry yeah they're really really angry and are they that way about like everything and every band not necessarily so there's just something about this one particular instance where that happened and i think people who are there were people who were in the seven seconds who felt that way there were people who were in the um uh dag nasty who felt that way mm-hmm. um who knows? There, there might be people out there who like jump ship on uh, on Black Flag. Yeah, uh, totally. You know, every every time it's like, ah, Chavo's not in it. I'm yeah. not listening to this ever again. Yeah, you can't you, know? you, you can't please. I learned that one thing. I did. I have learned to be in the band. You can't please everyone, man. Everybody has an opinion. Someone's gonna be bummed out. No. Like you can't you can't please every person that 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 has supported you. No, you can't. And you know what? I'm I'm kind of at the point where it's like having any reaction good or bad is pretty fucking interesting. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, you got to step back and say, wow, I'm, I'm, I'm doing something where you do get a reaction, Yeah, you know, positive or negative. Like, yeah. Just having that experience in your life is, is pretty fucking interesting. Yeah, for sure. You know? Um, so, but, I didn't really feel that way at the time. At the time, it was it was just like, oh no, oh no, people hate it. What am I going to do? Mm-hmm. You know, and it makes you. It either uh, would make me feel afraid to try something new, or make me feel like, oh, I'm going to do something new, um, like almost more out of spite, mm. without knowing like whether it's actually any good or not. Yeah, you know. So I think there were we had some missteps sometimes. Yeah, it's some some stuff that uh, we should have let percolate uh, a little bit longer. Yeah, how um, how long after looked at with a more critical eye? Yeah, you know? yeah. You guys released all ages all ages show in the same year, I think, right as we got right eighty seven. Yeah, although um, all ages show is was actually um, an older song. It was the first song that got written while I was in the band. Okay. But it was also written, uh, it was written right after the tour that we did with the Senate. So this was before okay, Doug gotcha. was in the band. Okay. And, and so there are two different versions of that song floating around. There's one uh, on the All Ages Show uh, single, but there's also a version that ended up on the, um, the Discord box set. Okay. And, and that version's really cool too. Um, 
Oh, so it's on, that version's out. I can hear that version. Oh yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. Um, so yeah, all ages show came out. That was amazing. I remember getting that seven inch. Um, remember seeing you guys play that for the first time, maybe at nine thirty club or something. I don't even know where it was, but I remember hearing those songs live. And then Field Day comes out. And that that's a year later. Um, and Field Day, I was already in New York, but I remember hearing hearing the record. That was so. It was so back then. It seems such a such a jump and different but in reality it really isn't if you really think about like wig out through all ages through field day like um and trouble is obviously but like that record did you feel like did you feel great about field day did you feel better about field day than you did about wig out i liked some of the songs uh more okay i like yeah. some of the um i felt like uh i liked my singing better mm-hmm. but i never was happy with the overall sound with gotcha. the production okay um and i think that that's always been like a sticking point with that and I, I feel like if it had been, I think for, for, for some people, like there are songs on there that people might have been able to enjoy if they didn't feel like, wow, this record is really like difficult to listen to just mm-hmm. sonically, uh-huh. you know? Yeah. Uh, and then of course, you know, we throw in a couple songs that also are going to be uh, just so different yeah. from everything that we did before mm-hmm. that at a certain point, like if I were just a, a, objectively, if I were someone listening to that record for the first time, I would be like, okay, already I'm having trouble because the, just the overall sound is not great. Mm-hmm. And then I get to a song where I'm like, what the hell are they doing on this song now? <laughs> what is that flamenco guitar? Mm-hmm. And I might not listen to the rest of the record. Yeah. You know, so uh, I, I I see that record as kind of a lost opportunity. Oh wow! Like it would have been it would have been great to like pare it down and to have stepped back and listened to it and said, you know what, this this isn't ready to to, to be put out. Mm-hmm. Like the mix the mix is just not good. Mm. Uh, we need. We, we need to get someone with a fresh set of ears yeah. to listen to it. Cause we did it ourselves. Okay. And I think that was a mistake. Ah, you know? no outside, outside. Yeah. Perspectives on it and stuff. Yeah. Hmm. And so what was the goal of that record? Was there, was there, was there like any certain style or just whatever? Because it's, it's experimental I for the time, I guess. Well, I think that, the goal, like the songs on there that uh, were not particularly experimental were definitely more the direction that we wanted to go in. Got you. So, you know, we wanted to do songs like Dear Mrs. Tuma. Mm-hmm. We wanted to do songs like, uh, like, like Typical. Even a song like Things That Make No Sense was just like, you know, we wanted to do something that was more like a descendant style yeah. kind of sappy love song. 
Yeah. You know, um, the, the other stuff, like if we had stayed together, I don't think we would have done another La Femita. Mm-hmm. I don't think we would have done another uh, ambulant song. Mm-hmm. I think we would have listened and just said, yeah, you know what? We tried it. And maybe, uh, maybe it's not so good. Did you, were, you, were, you, were you stoked on the songs in that moment, though? Not the sound, but we happy with the songs? Well, with both with those two songs in particular, um, I liked the music. Yeah, I didn't. I was not happy with my performance. Gotcha. And and even looking back on it, I'm like, I don't know if. I could have done the songs any better than I did. Mm-hmm. I think maybe maybe the lyrics should have been scrapped. Maybe it should, should have just been a different approach. Or maybe mm-hmm. I could have just listened to it and said, you know what, that's not that's uh, that's not something I can do really well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I was but I was into the music, and the thing is, those two songs are songs that I wrote a lot of music for. Gotcha. So I was excited about it that way, but it's like okay, I can write a song that I like, but it might not be a song I should sing. That, yeah, okay. That's a good point, too. Wow. So when that record came out, what was what, was that like, people kind of bug out when that came out? Like, they're like, what is this or not? Um, yeah, I mean, the, 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 the reaction to that was a lot stronger than it was to to wig out. Okay. Um, some people were really into it. Um, and other people were just like, no, 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 I don't like this at all. Mm. But, but they would still come to see us play. Yeah. Because they liked the first two records and we were still playing that material. Gotcha. And so once it came, maybe, maybe sometimes, some people would would leave and say, "Well, you know, I heard some of those songs live, and they actually sounded pretty good live. So, you know, I'll give the record another chance." Oh, that's cool. But e- even in that case, you know, people still like, "Yeah, I like the songs, but I wish the recording was better." Mm. Yeah, I, I I I've been there. We, we have a record, um, way overproduced, overpaid for, um album go which people love the record now and there's some great songs on there and it's the most debated record that me and my band have because where we were at that time whose head was in the game who had whose head wasn't like what people were on their minds at the time who took the reins of the band songwriting but we had like a big producer who rules matt wallace he's incredible he did replacements faith and more he was picked by my drummer todd friend that was his dream producer we were at Rumbo Studios with Guns N' Roses next to us in the room. We stayed at the Oakwoods. We lived in L.A. for a month. And there's some really great songs that hold up in our live set. But the production, I can't stand it. I sound way over-tuned or over-trip like with my vocals. And it just sounds like so thin. It's so pop. It's so um, clean. I, I, it's hard to explain. It's not a regret. And I've talked about my band that next year is the 20 years of that album. And it'd be great to re-record all those songs with like Chad Gilbert who did Nothing to Prove or did Use Your Voice. Like just have more of a raw mm-hmm. sound because they hold up live. But the production of the record and the 
when I hear the record, it makes me cringe knowing that wherever my head was at that time, I didn't write one song on that entire album, one lyric, nothing. I was moving to California. I was not happy with the major label move, um, but the band kind of not voted. They wanted to take a chance and try something different. We left Epitaph Records, and I just felt like I wasn't bumping heads for everybody, but I just, I get, I don't know if I gave up, I let the guys take the reins when I shouldn't have. And there's some really wonderful songs on there, but I didn't write one single song on the whole album. And I, I, I don't regret it because it came out it came out the way it came out. I just wish, I don't know, man. I just, when people say they love it, but the production's, we spent so much money on the record too, Peter. It's just such a waste, man. Ugh. But the songs, <laughs> like, like, like you said, I like the songs, they said to you, I like some of the songs by, on Field Day Live, but I don't like the production of the record. People say a lot, people love these songs. Back then it was so cool to hate us and your sellouts. And be, Meanwhile, a reason why we did it because a million of our favorite bands took a chance and tried a major label. We're like, wow, if they're going to take a right. chance, I love that band. They inspired me. Like seven, a bunch of bands. So many of my ba- friends' bands. And we took a chance and it didn't work. I mean, the record sold, was our, one of our biggest selling records and we did a video and that was all fun. We, we, we were on Conan O'Brien, which was wonderful. And, you know, we wore all of our friends' favorite t-shirts. All, we, we represented all of our friends' bands. We had their names written all around our speakers. John Joseph was in the audience, like, cheering us like a dad. We had these great moments and did this shit. We stayed the exact same people. I was still vegan, straight edge. I was still the same person. We're all the same people. But because we're on a major label and because we got a big producer and because it sounded so fucking polished, which I hated, we were sellouts. Meanwhile, we're the exact same people that we we never changed since the first seven inch till now but when i made your label but the the song was so overproduced my voice was echoey i can't even listen to it now it gives me douche chills i just and like you said but those songs live they're great like memory lane and role model and we covered a madonna like a prayer and a lot of the songs sound great live but the production i just i should have spoke up then like maybe you should have i should have said something i should have i just i don't know if i didn't care I, i don't know man i don't know where my head was at but I guess you could call it a regret, well, I guess. I don't know. You know, it's you got you gotta cut yourself some slack. Because you know, at a certain point, um recording music, at least my experience, is that at a certain point you can get like really fatigued with it. Yeah. You can get to the point where you're just like, Look, I, I just I just want it to be done. Okay. It took a long time. Yeah. 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 Mm. Yeah. It's 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 hard. It's really hard. And it seems like a lot of times the longer it takes, it's because you're trying to polish something that maybe you shouldn't be polishing. Polishing a turd? <laughs> that's what we always say. That's that's the expression. <laughs> that's the expression. Now I'm not saying that's what's happening there. No, I know. But I know that I know that you know, like back in the back in the day, you know, recording recording a record with with Discord, or you know, even doing Field Day, there there wasn't any. Uh, you know, there wasn't any pitch correction or anything like Hell that. Oh no! It's like if 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 you hit a bad note, 
you either noticed and did it again or somebody else noticed and told you to do it again. Uh, mm-hmm. But, you know, now it's just like, it's kind of ridiculous. And my, my own experience is, is that sometimes even pitch correction isn't going to work. True. And, and, you know, my first, my first modern experience is being in a room and seeing somebody like spending 20, 25 minutes trying to correct one, one thing Mm -hmm. that I fucked up one of like many, but they're just like (laughs) doing triage, doing triage. It's like, okay. I can only, you know, I can only fix so many of these. Yeah. So they're trying to fix this thing and trying to fix it, trying to fix it. And it's like, even when it's like so-called fixed, it's like, well, it still sounds pretty shitty. Exactly. Yeah. You know, I, so I, I agree. Point, you just got to say, just drop this, you know, move on, move on to something else. I know. We had so many people, in the, so many cooks in the kitchen. I just, I don't know, man. It's. Yeah, so yeah, I know what you're saying about like, yeah, the production, you hate the production, but you love the songs and and they, they live live and they work live. And yeah, I think it's a story for a lot of bands, I'm sure. Sure, sure. But yeah, and I mean, but, but again, you know, but you recognize there are people who absolutely love that record. Uh-huh. They love it now. You know? Back then, they yeah. hate it. We got so much hate, but over the years, people love it. Oh my god, they love but that's it. always that's always a funny thing too. That's always a funny thing too that you know people come around on stuff. Yeah, uh, you know, it takes them a while to realize that they they actually like something. Mm-hmm. You know that they don't like. Yeah. So how how long were you in Dagnasi after Field Day? Like, how soon after that did the band break up for good? Uh, let's see. That was like 88 or that 9. That record came out, I think that record came out at the end, either the end of 87 or the end of 88. But I know it it was like another six six months. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it was done. And then it was done. Yeah. Um, yeah, I forget. I forget. Like, I think the very last show we did was either in, Chicago or it was in Detroit and I remember going home on uh, July 4th and later that day getting a call from Doug saying that Brian had left the band. Wow. And I don't I don't think that he had left for Junkyard at that point. He just said, you know, fuck it. I don't want to do it anymore. Mm-hmm. Damn. And how were you bummed? And, and that was that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was. I also, but I also was not like, I don't want to say, I don't want to say relieved. Yeah. But I also could not imagine being in the band that we were going to become mm-hmm. if we'd stayed together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I, I was, I was really kind of like, am I, 
is this really me? Yeah. Like singing for a band? Is this what I should be doing? Mm-hmm. You know, it, it seemed more and more like kind of a, kind of something I was pretending to do. Well, you work at, did you always maintain jobs in between tours? Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Were you like elementary yeah. teacher too? Had like, that was later. Okay. Uh, so, so when, when after the band broke up, um, I was working at the Smithsonian. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Uh, I was like a mail clerk for the libraries there. Gotcha. Best job I ever had. Well, I shouldn't say because the, the, the job that I've got right now, I hope I still have because I got laid off. Oh, wow. Uh, but, but prior to the job that I have now, um, this job at the Smithsonian was awesome. For, for a guy with, with ADD mm-hmm. to be working at the museums, because I was the mail clerk for all of the Smithsonian museums. Oh, wow. Like five or six different museums yep. that I had to visit every day and could, like, you know, be behind the scenes. That's cool. Like, wow, look at all this cool shit. Everywhere. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it, was, it, was, it was really cool. That's awesome. But then uh, Madonna finished undergrad and she got accepted to law school in Philadelphia. Okay. And so we moved to Philadelphia. Yeah. And while she was in law school, I decided to finish up uh, undergrad. Okay. So I went back to school. Then as soon as she was done with law school and I was done with undergrad, I went to law school. You both would go, oh, shit. But, yeah. But uh, she went on to become an attorney. I, on the other hand, didn't get anywhere as an attorney. And I ended up going back to school again uh, for uh, to get a master's in education. And then I was teaching elementary school for about 10 years. 10 years? Yeah. Dude, that's fucking awesome. So, so she's, she's a lawyer still? Yep. Wow. And why did it work out for you? I think what, what I realized was the reason that I decided to go to law school was because Madonna would come home while she was in law school and she would talk to me about her classes and I thought they were really, really interesting. Mm -hmm. So I just, I had no idea what being a lawyer would be like. I don't think I even really thought about it. I just thought, wow, those classes seem like they're pretty interesting. And what it took me a long time to realize was that the part I liked most about it was seeing how the the things were being taught. Mm -hmm. But I didn't realize that what I was interested in was not law. What I was interested in was teaching. Okay. That's awesome. So I wasted a lot of money on law school. So so you got a bunch of loans, you got a bunch of loans and stuff, right? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Oh yeah, um, I'm, I'm one of these guys. He's like, I'm gonna vote for whoever wants to get rid of student loans. Yeah, I think some people I know have those too. I'm not gonna say no names, but yeah, those are, those are gnarly, right? Oh God, yeah, yeah. So yeah, teach. So how many? How, are you teaching for ten years or longer? 
yeah, I was teaching teaching for ten years, um, and then uh, eventually I ended up switching and doing what I'm doing now, which yeah. is working for this nonprofit, uh, helping people with disabilities find work. That's awesome. And yeah, I, I like it because um, it's much more uh, one-on-one. Like I'm, I'm much better working with people individually than I am working with like a class. Mm-hmm. That's awesome, though. So, so how long have you been doing that for? Yeah, uh, it'll be three years. And they just laid you off now because of the Corona stuff. Yeah. Damn, yeah. man. Because uh, the the meat of what we do, like the majority of what brings in money for us, is doing job coaching for people who are actually employed, people that we've gotten jobs for. Mm-hmm. And because so many of those people can't go to work right now, yeah, that means we can't go to work either. Fuck. And for us to be able to stay afloat, we just had to tell people, look, we're going we're gonna to have to lay you off until, until things get normal again. And when's that, when do you think it's going to be? I have no idea. No, I this is the craziest shit I've ever experienced in my life, man. Like, this is the craziest shit I've ever been on this planet seeing. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like it's it's very yeah. surreal, man. And it's like I don't know. I know. I don't know how the end's going to be. And I don't know how we're all going to be when we leave our houses and get back to normal society. Where people can be scared to go to shows, scared to spend money, scared to be around people. You know what I mean? Like, what's going to be the mind? What's going to be everybody's mindsets when they're actually allowed to go out and be? I guess, quote unquote, normal again. You know what I mean? It's, it's fucking crazy, man. I, you know, my, my sort of, uh, Pollyanna view of it is, I think that people are more resilient than we might want to give them credit for. Yeah. Um, I mean, so many people are so, so hungry for you know for next year they're hungry for November to come around yeah 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 for elections they're hungry for a change that they're not gonna let this get in the way Mm -hmm. you know no it's true they're they're just they're just gonna look at it as like wow you know so the last the last few months of this last four years it got pretty shitty. It got pretty crazy. <laughs> but now, you know, now we have an idea of how we got here. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. So, you know, so let's not make the same mistakes. Yeah, and I feel like the earth is thriving now, too. Like, the pollution's down in California, the pollution in China, uh, the water clearing up, the animals coming out. There's so much different things. That, that It's almost like Mother Nature's like, yo... You guys have been raping and pillaging and destroying me for so. I'm, I'm, it's it, fuck you. I don't, I don't know. I just feel like it's just she's over us, you know. Yeah, yeah. Mother Nature's like, I know a guy. <laughs> yeah, totally. And it's it's crazy. It's crazy. Like, I don't know, man. I don't know. So 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 fast forward till now, 2020. Um, I hear that. Uh, I see, I see something online, Field Day, um, Field Day's playing, and I'm like, 
fuck, I'm gonna be in Europe. So I missed the first the first show somewhere, or, or maybe we taught a friend of my drummer season in Jersey or something. But like, what is this field day field day? And then like, no nobody's even heard or seen of you, and I don't know over t- a long time. And like, I, I I never I hadn't seen you since you played back then. Um, and then I finally get to see you guys because you're back and you're playing at um, the Viper Room. And I got to go to that show, and it was just, I was, it was like, it was walking into like, um, what's it called, like a time machine, a time machine, and going in there, there's like machine, a, a yeah. bunch of people that I've known were there, and familiar faces in the crowd. I've been, I bet I've been in the crowd like in years. I was up front singing. You guys pulled me on stage and put me on the spot. That was a great moment. Um, just being there and seeing you guys play these songs and hear, and it was so tight and so good, and your voice sounds so good, and just. It was almost like you guys were frozen in time, and then you come out, all of a sudden, here you are in 2019, 2020. Um, so what is that like for you to be gone so long, right, and come back and play these songs that I feel like you may see are more appreciated now than they were when they first came out, like especially Field Day stuff? Well, for me... I feel like the timing couldn't be better. Agreed. Um, which it's, it's a, it's a weird thing, but I think I finally got to the point where I'm sort of ready to step outside of my, my memory of mm. what being in dad nasty was like. Yeah. Cause I feel like part of, part of, part of my issue with Dag Nasty is that I wasn't really noticing enough of what was going on. Yeah. Like I was too way too in my own head. So I thought this go around. The idea is pay attention. Yeah. Just pay attention to the whole experience. Pay attention mm-hmm. to what's good about it and, you know, and savor it. Pay attention to what's bad about it. Really think about you know, what is, what, what do I find negative about it? Yeah. Should it bother me? If it does bother me, what, what is that about? What can I do about it? Um, Love that. Just having the opportunity is, is amazing. And, you know, the, the fact is, I think for both me and Doug, like we realized it's a, it's a time machine for us too. Yeah. Like, we we like playing these songs a lot. You can so tell. You can totally tell. Are, if people are into hearing it, man, we're into playing it. Mm-hmm. Like really into playing it. I think I think we're probably more into it now than we were then. You, yeah, I would say that it's a different energy. It's a different. I don't know, man. It sounds so good. The songs sound great. All all the different albums together in the set are perfect. You guys look like you're having lots of fun. It's it, you feel like you have more fun playing it now than you did back then. Definitely. I, I think Definitely. you can tell that. Yeah. yeah, it's amazing, man. You know why I'm too? I'm, Go ahead. I'm, why? No, I'm I'm glad that comes across. Yeah. Because it's just for fun. There's no there's no song. There's like no like. Who knows what you're going through back then? You said with just everything, and you're a grown ass adult now, and like you're, just, you're having fun playing the songs. It's just, it's just fun. There's nothing else besides that. You're not, you're not counting on it to survive. You're playing the shows, and I don't know. I just feel like 
Not like you were back then, but this is like, oh, my big reunion, it's going to make money. No, you're playing because you want to play again. These songs sound great. And so many people didn't get to see you sing those songs back then. Now they can. And it's just, I don't know. I feel like it's, it was, it was, it was such an amazing surprise. I had no idea what to expect that day. You know what I mean? Like, Field Day isn't one of my favorite records. I love Wig Out, All Ages. I love, what can I say? That's not, whatever. But just hearing those songs and then going there, like, holy shit. Just the way he came out, swinging, the set was tight, the energy was there. Didn't look like a bunch of old guys going through the motions. It was, it was legit. Everybody's smiling, like, you're smiling. You know, it's like, you can feel that, like, you're excited to play these songs. I don't know. I was just, I was very, very pleasantly surprised, man. It was wonderful. Well, I mean, you know, one one thing I have to recognize is that, like, I joined Bad Nasty as a fan of the band. Yes. And the fact is, Doug was a fan of the band, too. Yeah. I mean, he, he was in the Descendants. He saw us play every night. Yep. Just like we saw the Descendants play every totally. night. Totally. So, like, he he was into it. So he ended up joining a band that he really liked. So yeah, it's like, hey, we get to go out and, and play play these songs by this band that we liked. Yeah, you know, and and the funny thing is, is that whatever whatever I might feel about Wig Out or Field Day, whatever I might feel about, you know, oh, was the production good? How are the songs? You know, how did people take it? Whatever, how however Doug might feel about it. Doug and I liked being in a band together. Mm-hmm. Like I, I don't know what it was, but when when Doug joined the band, I felt more comfortable than ever. That's like, amazing. I That's felt awesome. Like there was just somebody who was on the same wavelength. Yeah, and we just have a good time being on stage together. It's you like can totally tell. Yahoo! You can tell by his friend. You, know? you can tell. Yeah, you can see the energy. It's like. It's not like bands that get back together to make money and hate each other. Oh, let's do a reunion. You can tell you do it for fun and you love it and you fucking miss playing those songs and they sound great. And it's like, was was that, were you nervous playing your first show after not playing shows for over 20 years? Yeah. Yeah, I was. But you know, it's, it's, I don't know if, if, if it's your experience, but for me, it's like, once you once you get on stage, that's it. You got to let it go. Hundred percent. You know, you got to just jump into it. And you know, I have the benefit of like, I know these songs. I like these songs. Yeah. And frankly, nobody is coming to these shows unless they like it too. Exactly. You know. Exactly. There, there's nobody who's like, oh, I've never heard of these guys. I guess I'm going to go check them out. Yeah. You know. So it's like, hey. If there's somebody standing standing there who wants to hear us play, we want to play it. Yeah. You know? And so what's there to be nervous about? Like just just have a good time. Yeah, do you do you feel different being being the age that you are coming back from when the age you stopped and then playing? You feel anything different as, as far as like how you are on stage? You just feel like a kid again when you sing those I don't know, I, don't know, I guess being on stage, being in a band keeps you definitely young. Not just physically, I think mentally too, and just I don't know. I just I don't know because you look great up there. You don't look like you don't look like you're having any troubles being somebody in their fifties singing music. You know what I mean? I don't, I don't know. Well, I I can tell you I can tell you something that is different, 
Um, there are things in those songs that when I was in Dagnasty and we would play live, I would change lyrics sometimes. Um, just kind of like screw around with things like there yeah. was, there were, um, uh, especially stuff on, can I say, mm-hmm. like I would sing different lyrics to values here. I would sing, uh, have like a different rap in the middle of the song. What now? Nice. And I, but you know what? I don't do that anymore mm. because I'm like, people are coming because they liked those records just as they were. Yeah, that's a good point. And it's almost like, to me, um, I don't own those songs anymore. The people yeah. who come, they've got, they've got like squatters rights. You know? <laughs> yeah, totally. those, songs, those songs belong to them now. Yeah. It's like, I can come back and visit, but I need to sing what they remember. Because I need to, I need to honor their part of it. Yeah, you know, I like that. All, all of those songs, all of those songs have a lot more meaning to me now because I'm finding out what they mean to other people. I like that. That's awesome. That's pretty amazing, especially come back after all that and. And just meet people and talk to people who grew up with that record and how it connected to them personally and all that. That's amazing, man. That's that's the power of music, man. It's yeah. incredible. Yeah. It, it's it's uh yeah. I'm incredibly incredibly lucky to have the opportunity to do this. And so now you have new music coming out, which is exciting. And yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Um, I think the we've got a pre-sale that starts. God, I actually think it starts Friday this week. Oh, wow, and it then, does? Uh, okay. Yeah, and then I think first week of June, uh, single will be available, uh, two songs. Be on vinyl, I think it's going to be um, be able to get it digital too. Awesome. Uh, I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, and it's, it's funny because, you know, we have had the fortunate position of, being able to play material that people already know. Yeah. We know that, that people who are coming are going to hear what they want to hear. Yeah. And it's like, now, now we got to move out of the comfort zone again. Totally. Playing new songs. And that's that's kind of cool. Too. Yeah. That's kind of, that's kind of fun. And the challenge. one thing I could say about the new stuff, it, it is a challenge. And when Doug and I first started talking about getting back together, and we were thinking about what the new material w- would be like. We were thinking like, okay, so we're calling ourselves Field Day. Maybe this stuff is going to be sort of a continuation of that. Mm-hmm. But then when we started playing live and started like going at these songs just like really aggressively like yeah, yeah let's play the shit out of them <laughs> then we were kind of like you know that's actually a lot more fun mm. and so the stuff we ended up the stuff we ended up doing at least the two songs that we're going to put out first 
yeah. are like much, much, much more aggressive. Yeah. Like they definitely sound like we sound when we play, but people might be surprised. They might hear it and go, you know, this is actually like moving more towards can I say than it is continuing with field day. Now, believe me, we've got a lot of stuff that covers all of it, especially right now, because Doug and I have the opportunity right now to like work on new music because neither one of us have shit to do. Peter, can you and hear me? So we've got, we've got a lot of, yeah, I can hear you. I keep talking, keep talking. Sorry. I'm sorry. Oh, no problem. So, you know, we've got stuff that we're working on that covers a lot of different eras. Like we'll come out with something, you know, really like aggressive and raw. Yeah. And then we're like, okay, now we're going to do our Simon and Garfunkel shtick. Yeah. You know? <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll cover it all. We'll yeah. cover it all. But but the, the single is definitely a one-two punch. Yeah, the songs that I heard, they're very, yeah, it's it's a lot, it's a it's a it's a harder sounding you not you know as far as your vocals are concerned it's it's more um it, it's it's awesome because it's something that we haven't heard from you from what i've heard it's people haven't heard this side of your vocals you know what i'm saying like it's more um yeah 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 and you you know what it comes from it comes from now doing all of this can i say material because mm. it's like I, I told doug i was like you know there was a time when I didn't want to do that stuff at all. Like I was like, no, no, I don't want, I don't want to do kind of say, I just want to do the stuff that, you know, that I did. Yep. But now I'm like, man, I cannot wait to sing justification. Mm-hmm. It's like, <laughs> I want a song like that. man. Yeah. I want a song where I'm like, ah, you know, so yeah. it's like, okay, let's write it. Let's write a couple. Yes. Yeah, is, is it, is it fun singing that style for you? Like recording it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah it is. It is. It's a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of fun. Take, it took, took some getting used to. But, um, you know, I've, I've sort of turned the corner on it. Now it's like, it's, it's a lot of fun. I'm, I'm finding my uh, my inner choke. I like know? that. I like that. Is this first release in like 25 years? Wait, so that record come out in 80, 88 maybe? This is the first something. Wow, it's crazy, man. Is that 30 years? No, how many years is that? That's a long way. 20? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Wow. You're, are, you, are you nervous and exciting to put something new out? Both, right? Um, so this, this will sound weird, but I'm both nervous about it and stepping back and like, observing myself being nervous about it. Mm. Like, oh, that's interesting. So you're like, you're a 55-year-old guy and you're like nervous about a couple of songs. Like, that's a trick. That is pretty interesting you know? thinking about it like that. It's like, what's, what's that all about? You know? So I'm kind of <laughs> like, I, I've, hey, I've been through putting stuff out and like dealing with people's reaction to it. Yeah. So it's like, cool. You know? Yeah. It's it's a lot more interesting to, to do it that way than to just, you know, give people a clone of what they had before. Exactly. Like I said, you I know? like I like when bands that, change it up. You know, Dag Nasty up. was yeah. Yeah, Dag Nasty is always about saying, Really? Did you like that record? Good. 
fuck you. We're going to do something different now. <laughs> yeah, it's cool. <laughs> it's crazy because it's almost no, we're, like... We're, <laughs> go ahead. We're keeping, up, we're keeping up that tradition. And it's almost, from what I heard, it's almost like it was something that would sound in between Can I Say and Wig Out. That's why I think it's interesting because it is more harder. You know what I mean? I like that. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's just, it's how we play now. Mm-hmm. You know? It's like, it's, 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 it's just no fun to, to start recording and not like jump into the kind of energy that we have on stage. Did you, did you miss playing on stage all these years since you stopped playing? Not really. Not really. Um, it's, you know, it's it, it's a weird thing to sing for a band and at the same time be pretty much uh, an introvert. Mm-hmm. But I'm pretty okay with, like, keeping a low profile. Yeah. You know, like... You were off the grid for so long. Uh, yeah. And, and, you know... That's cool. Yeah. That's that's fine with me too. But uh I think I, I don't know. I think if it hadn't been with if it if it hadn't been with Doug, I don't think someone could convince me to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and, th- and then going on stage, now you now you love playing, right? Now it's now you're excited to play another sh- Oh yeah. One's my next show. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. 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 Yeah, like I was really, really bummed that we had all these shows lined up. I know, man. We ended up having to postpone. Tomorrow, yeah. tomorrow I would have phoned a freaking no. Tomorrow would have been the show That's in Jersey right. tomorrow night, man. Damn, man. That's right. But oh, we're gonna be there. We're gonna, we're be, gonna there be there in a couple Just months. Pushed off, pushed off a bit. I was oh, so that's excited. gonna be a good time. I know. Now I'm gonna turn fifty in my house, which is fine with my wife and my kid. But you know, you fifty, you fifty is supposed to go out and do some shit. Oh man! <laughs> oh man! I, I I I can't wait for for Moon and Max to hear that. Yeah, now I'm just going to turn fifty in my house. Well, they know whatever. Gonna I know. Be like, not... gonna be like, what the it's going to be fine. It's going to be awesome. I'm just saying, like everybody's like, what are you going to do? You want me to the park and we'll stand six feet away from each other? I'm like, no, man. Oh man. Uh, uh, we're gonna we're gonna have a hell of a celebration though when we hit New York. Yeah, we will. It'll be. It'll I know it's going to be. It's going to be very good. Um, what what would you say your, what would you say your, top influences are as far as, like some a musician, artist, whatever what would be your top. <laughs> oh man, how do I even answer that? You know what? You know what I listen to the most. I listen to, like, recordings I made of cartoons that. I I watched when I was a kid. That is amazing. I listened to I listened to sound effects records. Wow. I listened to I listened to easy listening. Uh, wow. I, I made this when when I was like a couple of years out of high school. I took a tape recorder and left it in a parking garage and just like set it to record. It came back, flipped over the tape, set it to record again, 
so it's just this, the sound of the inside of a parking garage. What? Cars going by. Sometimes they have their windows rolled down so you can hear like little bits of music. I'll sit and just listen to that. That is freaking cool, man. So I'm like, I'm not sure what to say as far as influences go. You know, I, although I'm influenced by you. Thank you, man. Thank you. No, man. Thank you. Thank you, man. I'm, I'm like studying you. I'm studying your music, man. <laughs> I really, that, that, that means a lot to me. No, Thank I, you, man. I, I am not. I am not kidding. I'm like every time we play with you, I'm like, okay, how does he do that, man? Because you walk out there and you've just got the crowd into it, into it instantly. I'm like, what? How the fuck does he do that? Thank you, man. That was so fun having you on stage no, in Philly, you. man. That was awesome, dude. So fun. Yeah, that was a lot. That was a lot of fun. It's gonna be it's gonna be interesting the first time Phil Day plays Philly because I've lived here for so long mm. and yet and yet it it's like it's not like a homecoming yeah because I don't think a lot of people know I'm here yeah it's interesting man except the people cool. who are at H two O yeah <laughs> you know? yeah it's true though yeah see see you're putting me on the map. Yeah, that was super cool. That was yeah. yeah I'm sure a lot of people don't know you. Oh, I had a good time. You've got you've got a nice bunch of friends, man. I met so many nice people there. Thank so you, man. Many nice I can't people. wait to meet the New York people. Oh my God, it's gonna be dude. I can't wait for the yeah. New York's gonna be a party. I hope I hope July stays July. Nothing gets changed, man. I hope everything's better by then. You know. Dude, I want to meet Vinny Stigma. Oh, he'll be there. He'll be there. You know, my my entire experience with him is is seeing him in that movie. Yeah, he's my he's my he's my hero now. He's incredible. Like, I man. can just I can just watch him. <laughs> yeah, he, he is, is. He is an entertaining motherfucker. He's incredible, man. He 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 is New York. He is New York to me. He's everything yeah. about New York, yeah. man. He he's been there. Oh, man, he's he's incredible. He looks so great for his age. Like he's. I know. I, I love know, Stigma, it's man. I know. Yeah. If you have a chance, listen to his him on my podcast because you feel like you're in Little Italy the whole time. He's talking about Mott Street and growing up. It's really, he's really wonderful, man. I can't wait to hear it. Um, well, I think we covered a lot of things today. Man. I'm really excited. You know, new music coming out. I'm excited to call you my friend. Seeing you guys play back in the day, then seeing you <clears throat> last year at the Viper Room—that was that was a surreal moment for me. Then getting to meet you guys, becoming friends with you guys. Now we're gonna play shows together. Like how important you know uh, we got was for me um, at, at that time when it came out. Just everything is just just to be just to be friends with you, the guy that sang on that record. Because when you're a kid, you look up to people, and when you find that later on, they're only a couple years older than you. But they seem like they're like so much older and so much over there. But it was just all people and. Um, yeah, man, that record's a big part of inspiration for my life and my bands. Like we, we love that record. We love all the Dagnasties, but like, since I'm talking to you, Wig Out is just, yeah, man, Safe, Godfather, all that stuff, man. Just we were so psyched singing Lizar, just exercises, just like taking the. I think about now the road trips from Southern Maryland to DC, going to see you guys, or just going to a show, and that's on our soundtrack and. I'm just, I'm happy you're back, and I'm happy you guys are having fun doing it. The songs that I heard are, are awesome, 
and it's a different it's a different vibe but it's a, it works and i think people are really going to be like holy shit you know and um i don't know i'm just thank you man yeah. thank you and you should know now it's 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 full circle because now you're like you're the soundtrack as i travel around well thank you man thank you you know no thank you thank you man it's it's an incredible thing that i got to meet you and it's it's an honor to do your program yeah, I'm I'm psyched to have you on here, and um, I'll, I'll make sure when we release it, it's right when the record comes out, so people know that it's coming out. And I'm I'm psyched to see what people think about it. It's like first music in like 30 years. It's it's pretty exciting, man. Um, and I came to play with you guys in July once we get out of this quarantine, and people listening. Hope everybody yeah. by the time this comes out, hopefully it's be all over and everybody be everything's gonna be good again. You know, it's just it's a really rough, interesting time right now. Yeah. Um. Uh, people, people are going to be ready, man. People are not going to, not going to come out of this not ready for a good time. Yeah. Do you have any, do you have any uh, daily rituals you do? Yeah, actually. So I have been wanting to get back into doing some kind of art. Nice. For the longest time. So I have these, these two different books, uh, that are like coursework on doing cartooning gotcha. that I've had sitting around for a couple of years and I've just like gathered up when, when everybody else was out getting toilet paper, <laughs> I was getting all the art supplies together. That's amazing. Uh, man. Hoarding those. And I got, got a table set up and I just start the day doing one assignment from one book, one assignment from another book. Wow. You know, keeping my diary of all of it. Yeah. And that's been, that's been very cool. That must be very therapeutic. And too. of course, it is, it is, it is. And because other than that, my only ritual really is like, you know, cleaning the litter box. <laughs> you didn't do yoga, nothing like that, or no? No, but you know what? I did finally decide to start jogging again. Woohoo, me too. I, I hate it, but and, I love it when I I'm mean, done. I haven't done that. I haven't done that since, uh, since I got married. Wow. So you've been jogging. And, but... But I just got, it was just like, I can't, I, I can't stand being cooped up anymore. I know, man. So it's like, go and, go and do this. And, and it feels really good. It's not like I'm going fast. It's not like I'm going far. But I'm just like, fuck, man, just start. It feels start good to run. Day. At first it sucks, but once you, once you, when you're done, you feel so good, man. Yeah. yeah. I love that. I remember. I remember. <laughs> well, much love to Madonna and... um. I'm so happy you guys are together too. That's that's an amazing love story as well. Um, you guys have been Thank together you, so long. Thank you. And give um, Max and Moon a hug for me. I will, and and I really appreciate your time, and I really uh, appreciate your friendship course, and and, the, and all yeah. the and all the music you put out there in the world that changed so many people's lives and inspired so many people. You know, it's awesome. Thank you, man. Thank you. Um, yeah, I think that was great. Let me see, let's try to see something real quick. How long we talked for? We covered a lot of shit though. Oh, yeah, two hours and 20 minutes. Damn, that's awesome. <laughs> Good luck. I hope you get 15 minutes out of it. No, it's going to be great. But, uh, Peter, I really appreciate everything, and thanks for your time today. And give my best to your of wonderful course, wife. Of course, man. Of course. Anytime, man, Toby. Take care. All right, brother. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Hey, guys. Thanks for listening. Um, please rate, review, uh, subscribe. If you haven't subscribed yet to this podcast, please do that. And whatever platform you are listening to this on, I'm glad you found me. 
you can rate me and review me on there also. So thank you guys sincerely for the support. I cannot wait for you guys to hear the next one.